Come with us now, if you dare, down a rickety staircase into a dank, dark basement. What awaits the Saturday Night Freak Show? <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us for the Saturday Night Freak Show podcast. The movie talk show podcast comes your way every Saturday, whether you're ready for it or not, in our quest for total world domination. And we do this every end of year we go through the entire year's catalog of movies there's so many and tell you what we thought of them because guess what we actually do venture outside of this basement and see actual movies in theaters do you think, do you think uh Igor, if you can believe it we should all right one of these years we should we should uh, we'd have to do some writing for it we should figure out igor's top five of the year that might take a little brainstorming a little writing to do but i mean we just need to talk to igor i mean just... ever since ever since i saw a nicholas winding reference top 10 best movies of all time i've i i feel inspired to do igor's top five now <laughs> right yeah that's the populist top five that's pretty right. good it's, it's it's frankenstein every year yeah i was gonna say you know his favorite this year's four things like, <laughs> obviously. Yes, yes, definitely. obviously well we should probably let the good folks at home know who these disembodied voices are these are the internet radio superstars Holly, sean michaela and I'm Colin, and tonight we're coming from you remotely in flashbacks of the year 2020 or 2021, because yes, the Rona, the Rona is among <laughs> oh, us. Oh yeah, remember we it, it is among us. It has struck the freak show down, unfortunately. Mm. Again, 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 again. <laughs> Don't worry, all. I will ride to the front of the battle lines and fight it off. <laughs> Sean is Sean is living his own I am legend type story. Yeah, right? yeah. where he's at. Sean, yeah, Sean with the, the last, natural immunity. The last yeah. man of Corona. Yeah. That, that sounds like a good story. Um, well, um, so, I mean, the year 2023 it was marked by highs and lows, and uh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that came out. Too um, much. Too much? Is that how we're describing this year? I mean, yeah, I it's, it's probably just me. I, it no, it's too much. No, no. It's not too much. No, it's just a yeah. year of mid. It's just a year of average mid shit. That's what Yes, thank you. Obviously, like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've been cramming for like, the last couple weeks, and yes, I'm just, same. like, overwhelmed by mediocrity. Like, it's just nonstop, like, blah. A lot of three-star movies this year that I don't yeah. feel really strongly about. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right in that regard. There are a lot of men. I mean, yeah. maybe when I was just looking through the, because uh, I always end up looking through the films of 2023 because I can never remember what came out. Well, yeah, remember, yeah. Remember, we got a Scream movie this year that we've already talked about like twice. That time. we did an episode on. Right. So it just feels like there's so much. But and if any of you sons of bitches make me talk about that again tonight, I'm going to be so mad. It is, I've, it is, I've avoided it. It is not on purpose. Well, we do. We do five uh, individually. We pick five of our. Well, we're going to call them the best, but they're actually our favorites. Our favorite. Okay, yeah. Great. I don't know if they're objectively the best movies, um, but the ones we enjoyed the most. And then we pick one worst. So we'll we'll scream six B, uh, one of the best or the worst movies of the year. This was also the year of the uh, like uh, comic book movie implosion. Is Marvel over? Marvel and DC and superheroes, are we done? DC Sorry. is definitely over because they're selling their movies to Tubi. So, yes, yeah. DC is, is dead in the water. But I think Marvel, unfortunately, might still have a little steam left. Not much, uh, not much, though. No, I think they have certain aspects of them are dead. I think the live actions 
obviously, you know, uh, going down, but we'll talk about it. Oh, 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 oh. Well, oh, okay. 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 Well, oh, yeah, that's it. right. That shitty Ant-Man movie did come out this year. That's okay. true. <laughs> I forgot that that was this year. It's been a long so time. So was uh, Guardians 3 was this year, too. I forgot about that. Jeez. Oh, shit. Yeah. 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 That was a highlight, crazy? though. I kind of like that one. Is it on really? the list? Yeah. I didn't like that. Well, I didn't like it as much as the other two. It was kind of like, all right, I've already been here and done this, and it was kind of an Azran kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. But I it mean, wasn't it was really, horrible. No, but you could always, you could tell, like, from the get go, it was like, oh, we're going for your heartstrings. Yeah. We're going to try. Yeah, I don't need a raccoon backstory. That was a, that was like an hour and a half of the, the three hour movie, was the Jesus. Rocket Raccoon story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like, I, I like Rocket, but I don't. I don't need any of that. Yeah, I don't. There's just certain characters that I don't need their backstory. He's one of them. Yeah, it's like we get it. He was a raccoon that was experimented on, and that's why he's like a super hero raccoon. We get it. Yeah. Right. Imagine if they tried to do a whole movie of like the group backstory. How much would you just like hate that? Shut your mouth right now because they will do it now that you said it. I'm just like, no, don't do it. Don't put that. Don't you dare put that out in the universe. It's out there, Michaela. Deal with it. Vin Diesel is signing a contract right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with the. Uh, so we're gonna go. We're gonna go uh, up to like so five movies. Uh, one one a piece going up to our favorite movie of the year, and then we'll do the worst or one worst of the year. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, kicking off, I guess I'm going first on this one with uh, number number five. Uh, best movie of the year. I'm going to go with Creed 3. Ooh, all right. Almost made my list. Come okay. On. Yeah. Creed I 3. That did, came out this did year. You, well, that, <laughs> see, that, was, that was the first movie that I saw this year where I sat there and I'm like, I really like this movie. I loved the original Creed. Um, great. Yeah. Loved that one. Yeah. Loved it. But I think part of why I loved the original Creed was because it was basically uh, another Rocky movie. It was like yes. a. You know, it was another Rocky movie, except he had become the Mickey. Yes. Right. And was able yep. to, you know, so he's teaching Adonis Creed, you know. And there's some great emotional moments in that movie. Yeah. No, that was, they should have killed Rocky at the end of that movie, they, I yeah. think. They, you know. Yeah. It's just like, ah, he's not going to win this one. Yeah. Now, did you guys see Creed 2? Yes. Not so good. That wasn't so good. And that was where, you know, we had Ivan Drago, right, from Rocky Four, and his son had to take on, you know, the old rivalry between Rocky and, and Ivan Drago. Creep 2 felt like, you know how when uh, Stallone fucks up, he goes back to his, his, his bona fides, the things that made him? Every time. Yeah. We've talked Creed, about this. Right. Creed 2 feels like like that. Like, Creed 2 is one of those where he's just like, ah, I got to go back to this. And they didn't do it too well. Yeah, well, he wrote that one, I want to say, because the first one was, uh, yes. I don't know if he wrote the first one. I think that was Ryan Coogler, right? Because that was before yeah. Ryan Coogler got Black Panther. Um, Fruitvale Station and everything. Yeah. yeah. And Creed 2 Creed Two was written by Stallone. And uh, Creed 3 is written by two guys. I think it was uh, Ryan Coogler's brother. Yes. And this other guy, like Zach Bevins or something, who had also so, yeah. written, um, he wrote uh, King Richard, I think, right? And I think he also wrote this year's Gran Turismo yes, uh, movie. So, so directed by and directed by Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Um, I think what impressed me about it because it doesn't have Stallone in it at all. So Rocky's not in this one at all. 
and it brings in this other character. It's played by Jonathan Majors, who's, you know, uh, I mean, say what you will about him. And I know now he's he's never going to probably work again. Right. But that guy was a compelling screen presence. Yes. And he's really good. He's been really good in everything that I've seen him in. Even as Kang the Conqueror, I thought he was doing stuff that. I'm like this is he's playing against like how this is actually written. I yeah. I actually really liked him in uh my one of my favorite movies from last year, the year before The Harder They Fall. I thought he was great in that. Oh, yes. oh right. Yeah, yeah, he's, he was, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's a good intense actor who like gets Yeah, too into bad it. he shed all over that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right, that intensity that he applies to all this stuff has boiled over into his private life, which has now become his public life and so the downfall, but he is a good actor. Yeah. And he's um he's uh Adonis's like childhood friend who took the rap or the fall for a crime that I think they had committed as children and he gets out of jail and he's like he's the one who is actually like interested in boxing. You know, and so he's like, you know, I did this for you back then. You deserve, you know, you should give me a shot. And they kind of have a rivalry that develops over the movie because I think there is like a genuine friendship there. But ego, right, eventually kind of shatters that. Ego and what you think you deserve and what you got screwed out of. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was really drawn into it. And I think. You know, some of it may be I uh, really enjoy aspirational heroes in movies. And to me, Creed's Adonis's Creed story is a lot like Rocky. You know, I mean, it's very different. So it's not like you're watching the same movie again. Right. Right. Uh and it was compelling, and I don't know, I just, I really, um, you know, wanted him to win, you know, and it really does kind of feel like the odds are stacked against him, even though he's the title holder in that movie. But, um, and I thought Michael B. Jordan, like I always, you got to give some additional credit to these guys who are able to um, direct and be in front of the camera because that's got to be extremely difficult to direct your co-stars, you know, while you're in there also trying to emotionally get into a, you know, a frame of mind. So I thought, you know, I think it's his first directorial yes. thing. And, you know, obviously he's surrounded by a team of uh, helpful ADs and, and all that, but I still thought that it was very impressive. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a um, arousing, arousing uh, movie, you know, by the end Truly. of it. Yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Because you got to stand across from someone who's acting at you and you have to be the character that they're talking to, but you also got to watch them to make sure that you're getting what you need from them for the scene. Yeah. Incredibly. It's gotta be incredible. I'm assuming that he was inspired by working with Stallone. I mean, Stallone had done that, you know, so many times in his career and, you know, um, it's just to, to be working with someone with that kind of legacy in Hollywood, you know, kind of, I'm sure inspired him, you know, to want to do it himself. And yeah, I thought, I thought Creed three was great. You guys haven't seen it then. I saw it. No, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm saying you should check out Creed three fifth best movie or favorite movie of the year. And now Sean, what was your fifth best movie? Of the okay. Year? Uh, number five is going to be the first of my two, what Michaela would call my two dad picks that are on my list. Oh, can I guess what I think it is? 
No, because that's probably the next one. So you can save okay, it. Okay, that's can, <laughs> so you can save it because you're probably going to be right. Okay. Um, no, the first one is actually a stand-up comedy special. And it is um, from the comedian Mike Birbiglia. I don't know if you guys have ever watched any of Mike Birbiglia's stand-up routines or comedy over the years or seen him in any movies or anything. Um, I'm sorry, the state of movies is so bad in 2023 that a stand-up comedy special made it on your top five? Yes, because I was going through my list and I'm going, ah. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. This is shocking. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm bored. No, but I also missed a lot of movies this year that I just didn't get to. Like, looking at that 2023 list, I'm like, wow, I didn't watch a lot that I really wanted to. And I could mm. name, you know, we can name like 15 right now. But the reason I mention it is because Mike Birbiglia is one of the, he's a comedian that I've kind of, I've been watching for like many years now over his specials. And when they come out, they kind of hit at similar moments to where I am in my life. This is kind of the whole dad thing. Cause he's done uh, specials when he was younger. The one before this one was kind of about having, uh, having kids um, and his whole thing with that um, during a time when I was like, my kid was young and raising him and coming into that era. This one is the, I mean, it's called the old man in the pool. Uh, it, it's about getting older and the things you have to deal with in life. And he, it's he tells them in such a way they're more one man shows than stand up comedy routines. So I, I know when you picture stand up comedy, you know a guy standing up there with a mic telling you know jokes or one liners and stuff. But he's more of a storyteller uh, when it comes to what he does, and you know he talks about yeah you know his health uh, stuff you do for your your family. Uh, you know you think thinking about um, your your dad and kind of. Uh, the things that you know you follow in their footsteps and everything but he's very funny about it um, and also very sincere and um, uh, maybe not heart-wrenching but you know it's it, it, it gets you in those areas or at least it gets me um, and I think for some people in our audience um, will would appreciate that and enjoy that type of comedy because we're not getting any younger here folks none of us look at all of you um, but it's microbiglia the old man in the pool um, it's extremely funny. It's extremely heartfelt, um, uh, and it, you know, it made me feel all the warm and fuzzies, warm and fuzzies this year, and it made me laugh a lot. So uh, that is my number five. I promise the rest are movies, all right? <laughs> I promise. But for that fifth one, uh, uh, going with that one. So Mike Birbiglia. Uh, Holly. What is your number five movie of the mm. year? <laughs> my number five, um, actually, this, the fact that this is on my top five surprised me. I was not expecting to like this movie as much as I did. And also, it's kind of a controversial movie this year. Mm. But my number five is Maestro. Oh, I actually really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. I I know there's a lot of controversy between uh, among Bradley Cooper's performance and then also like his, his nose. I was going to say, is the nose just the nose? Because that was the big one. I will say, so yeah, I will say, the nose is distracting. And I actually, um, I saw a a review from Paul Schrader talked about how it's not even so much the nose, it's the filter that is really distracting because it's like too puffy. Like, so the makeup job is not even the prosthetic nose, it's actually like the filter above, above the, or below the nose, above the lip. Um, it looks like Botox and it's very distracting. Um, so I will agree that it's, it's, <laughs> it's not great, especially for the caliber of movie that it is. It should be better. Right. Um, but I think 
we were talking earlier about how do you how do you direct and star in a movie like that? And Bradley Cooper like blows my mind with this movie. Um, his performance, I I thought it was really good. Um, I don't think the actual performance was a distraction. I know some people have said that it was, but I don't think so either. But the star of that movie is Carrie fucking Mulligan. She is absolutely incredible. I already love her. Um, and she is just sensational she, this movie. She seems perfect for that more old time classic. Yes. She actress. does that like she does that like transatlantic accent perfectly. Right. Like she is such a good actress and she is the star of this movie. She does such a good job. I hate um, how she always is a supporting character, though. Like, can we let her have a fucking movie? I know she's a promising young woman, but, like, she's always, like, the tortured wife of somebody, you know? She is, and I, I, think it's, I think it's, you know, I mean, she does, she does it, but she's so great. So, like, yeah, write a movie for Carrie Mulligan, absolutely. Promising Young Woman is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie so much. Um, but she is spectacular. She she brings so much feeling to this to this character. I mean, obviously it's a very tumultuous relationship between Leonard Bernstein um, and Felicia and, and, you know, he, he had multiple uh, male lovers throughout his life, but yet they were always married and they had children and they had this loving relationship. And it was just such an intense story of having a soulmate that isn't like your only love. You know, he had other people that he loved. And it's just such an interesting story because you still, you really do see the the love in their relationship, despite the fact that, like, she knows he has male lovers and she just deals with it. And she has this strength in her that is insane. And it's it's just such an interesting story to me. And it's, it's a really beautiful story. And also just, I mean, as a conductor, as a composer, he was remarkable. And to watch... Bradley Cooper like throw himself into that. It was really convincing and really beautiful. Um, so, and it's a gorgeous movie stylistically. Like they go from black and white to color, and it's just really cool the way it flows. Like it's one of those that they do it, and you don't notice that it's transitioned from black and white to color, and it's just a really gorgeous flow. Um, yeah, the cinematography is gorgeous. Uh, any movie that has like stage scenes with spotlights. Like the lighting is just going to be so cool in a movie like that, and it's it's just really beautiful. So stylistically, it's gorgeous. The writing's gorgeous. Bradley Cooper, I'm continuously impressed by. Um, so yeah, surprisingly, Maestro's my number five. How long? Did not see that coming. It's uh, I mean, it's longer. It's uh, two-ish hours. What is the what is the story of Maestro? What's the I mean, is it basically, is it just set in a short period of time or is it following, oh, is no, it I, like... No, it's, lifespan it's, it's, um, yeah, it's Leonard Bernstein from, like, the day he gets the call to go to Carnegie Hall. Okay. So, like, from that moment where his, like, life as conductor-composer Leonard Bernstein begins, when he gets the call to fill in at Carnegie, and then he meets Felicia, and they fall in love, and it's his life from that moment on. So when he becomes Leonard Bernstein, basically. So it's not like his early life, you know, it's that childhood. It's not anything like that. It's that moment that like he reached fame from then on. And the, and um, the love story, I suppose. And the love story. And then into yeah. old age. And, okay. and cause she, she suffered from cancer later in life. So it's like their story of life and death together. And it's, yeah. So it's, it's an intense story and it's really moving. Um, but yeah, I just, I love those movies that really focus on, interpersonal relationships with people that are 
interesting and it's more than just romance like they're they were soulmates in a totally complicated way that i will never understand <laughs> and yeah it was just it was spectacular writing so surprisingly did not see it coming maestro is my number five and this is a was that a netflix or an apple or a prime or who 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 put that out that was netflix wasn't it oh, theater, netflix. theaters and netflix yeah it was theater netflix okay because i'd heard of it mm-hmm. but i mean the fact that it's out I didn't even hear about, and I think, you know, every year it seems like I go on a screed, so I'll save you from it, about how streamers are basically killing the movie business by not, you know, it's, they're not making their movies important. I mean, it's an important movie. It's got Bradley Cooper, directorial debut. No, he did uh, A Star is Born. So, yeah. 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 So it would have been, you know, him as a director tackling, like, you know, one of uh, music's great artists of the 20th century. And (laughs) I read read an article before that Spielberg had been in the talks to direct it instead of Bradley Cooper. But then Spielberg saw an early cut of A Star is Born. And immediately after he saw, like, the shallow scene, he went up to Bradley Cooper and he's like, you're doing Maestro. Okay. So it's just, I don't know, it's just... I agree with you. I wish that it had gotten it. W- it would have gotten more uh, more attention. Um, if oh, for the theatrical release, but oh, oh Steven. Steven! Oh Steven! I don't need to direct Maestro. Oh Steven! Oh, Steven. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> so yeah, I, I when you said you were picking a dad pick, I was like, is he going to pick Maestro or is that my dad pick? <laughs> I think that's your dad pick. Yeah, that's your version of a dad pick. I think. Although that would, that movie would make my dad uncomfortable, but that's beside the point. What? Is, oh, just because of like the gay liaisons and everything? Yeah, he's a boomer, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> I remember when uh, when we would do this show and like by the end of it, um, you would have like there'd be the same movies in different order on all of our lists. Right. I'm going to guess that this is all going to be wildly different. Right. I think it is. I I think over the years, like, I don't know about you guys, but me specifically, like I, I try to pick movies that I don't think you guys are going to pick because I like that we talk about different things. It makes for a better discussion. Yeah. Especially if we're. Especially because I mean we go the whole year. Yeah. Like I, I will never focus I, on specific things. It's nice to branch out yeah. at the end of the year. I will never forget was the twenty seventeen when all of us were like, "Did you like the witch? Yeah, I like the witch." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Makes for a better conversation. Yeah. So anyway, that's my number five. Is Maestro Michaela? What was your number five? Oh, man. Okay. I spent a lot of time pouring over my choices today because I'm Holly. I too have been cramming for this. Like, it's a final I'm going to be graded on. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I put, I I put unnecessary pressure on myself <laughs> for this. Um, man, uh, well, I'm so torn. <laughs> I'm going to have some honorable mentions, I think, because, man, I'm torn. But mm-hmm. I think my number five, I'm going to go with uh, Priscilla by Sofia Coppola. Um, so last year I had Elvis on my list by Baz Luhrmann, and that is the complete opposite of this movie. That is bombastic and loud and tacky. And go listen to me talk about it last year. Um, this one is is the complete opposite side of the same story. I would say it's it's quiet, it's understated, it's like delicate, but there's this like looming sadness over it that's kind of unsettling. And it's just the story of someone being gifted privilege, but like through abuse. And it doesn't really shy away from like the ugliness of uh, Elvis's life, and did, it's. Did it's, you string those words together, or did you read that somewhere? Because that was that was gorgeous. No, was I good. just did a, wrote a lot of notes today yeah, of what I was, to say. Because, 
That was a gorgeous description. Oh, thank you. I, I, I like her movies are so beautiful. I want to do them justice. You know, like mm-hmm. her movies, I just like want to crawl inside and live inside because she captures the atmosphere so well. Like there was a scene in this movie where you see Priscilla walking around Graceland barefoot, and like you hear the carpet under her feet. And it's like this custom made carpet with like Elvis's monogram all in it. And it's tacky and gold and yellow and it's wonderful. And like, I just remember thinking like, I want to walk on that carpet. Like, Oh Mm -hmm. my God. Like it's just, but at the same time, like you do see the ugliness and they do not shy away from the fact that she was 14 and he was 24. It gets mentioned a lot in the movie, like a lot, a lot. They don't shy away from that. This is not a glamorizing in any sense. Um, Uh, 14. Yeah. 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 Um, and Holly and I saw this together and we're shocked to find out not the same day, but literally days later that Kaylee Spaney, the girl who played Priscilla was in the craft legacy. Yeah. When you guys sent that, <laughs> when you guys sent that in the, in the group chat, I was like, you're fucking kidding me. And I just, well, it took us days to figure it out because thing. it feels like a different person. Yeah. It does I totally feel like forgot. A different person. Yeah. And, uh, she's great in this movie though. I cannot mm-hmm. believe it's the same person because she is just fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and my favorite thing about Sofia Coppola movies, Holly, you nailed this too, is that she knows exactly where to end the movie. Yeah. Um, that's and that's good. something, that's something we bring up on the show a lot because we see a lot of movies where we're like, Oh, they, if they would have just like ended this five minutes sooner, it would have been perfect, yeah. you know? And well, it's, I, it's funny because like, I remember there was a time in my movie viewing experiences when I thought Sofia Coppola ended her movies abruptly. And then, like, yeah. as I've learned more about movies over time, I'm like, she nails it. She yeah. knows exactly where she's ending the story because there's more story that doesn't need to be told. Yeah, you know? this movie, I was really did not know how it was going to end. And yeah. I, I couldn't stop because, like, this movie is just about uh, Priscilla Presley and how she met Elvis. It's based on Priscilla Presley's uh, memoir. And, like, the way it handles time and the way they grow apart and grow together is really interesting and mm-hmm. the movie i just couldn't stop thinking about because i'm pretty sure the last spoken line in the movie is elvis says like what man am i losing you to and she says you're losing me to a life of my own and mm-hmm. then like that's the last line said in the movie and like it it just ends perfectly and i don't know she has such an interesting way of doing biopics that I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, this movie made me like feel movie magic again. You know, Perfect. I felt yeah. transported to another time and place. And uh, I didn't expect, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I love Sofia Coppola, but like Elvis was so good. And I do think Austin Butler is the superior Elvis, but I mean, the performances are asking so many different things. Uh, I mean, Jacob already got the juice, I guess. Uh, I mean, I hate that he, I think he does have some talent. He's not just pretty. But he's yeah. not as good as Austin Butler. I don't. I know. was. I was. I was irritated at how well he did as Elvis. I know because I didn't want it to be. I, I didn't want him to be as good as he was. No, but the, I know. The interesting like, about dumb Jack from Euphoria, he shouldn't be good. Like, but the interesting about interesting thing about Elvis is that it feels like he had so many eras to his life. He did that, that you can yeah. get different actors in there to like really put, portray the key points of those of those eras and really bring them out so you can get different actors to do it, which is but, kind of yeah, nice. yeah. But here's the problem, Sean, this movie covers the exact same time span as the Elvis movie. Oh. Like, uh. like, like the Roman candle fight on the front lawn of Graceland is in both of these movies. Uh, that yeah. scene, that scene made it to both. That is that that ties yeah. the cinematic universe together. The, right? Yeah, the uh, difference being the difference being Sofia Coppola ends her sooner because we don't get the later Elvis in that one. Sure. We get it yeah. with Austin Butler, but not in this one. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll have to try and watch them again because, like, I think I mentioned before, I got high and watched the first half hour of Elvis, and my I was uh, my mind was so blown I could not finish it because I'm just like I can't do this <laughs> unsober at this point. I don't think I, it might make my mind explode, so I may have to go back and try these again. I imagine Tom Hanks is extra scary when you're high. Oh yeah! Oh, oh my god! I'm so mad that this movie did not have him come through even for a cameo. He could have been the fucking Nick Fury of the Elvis Cinematic Universe tying that, together. Is but... that character ever in Priscilla? No. He's, he's talked about. Elvis, okay. He's mentioned talked about. like once, yeah, but you never see him. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, but, sure, which canonically, in my mind, it is Tom Hanks then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. Why I'm, like, I'm glad they never showed him because in my mind, it can still be Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> He's on the other end of that phone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the, El- the Elvis Cinematic Universe. <laughs> okay, so Holly, who's going to be the next one in the Elvis Cinematic Universe to get a movie then? Oh, well, Lisa Marie, I think. Oh, yeah. right? yeah, <laughs> How many Presleys do we have left? Uh, They're dropping like flies. Yeah, now. we have <laughs> Riley Keough as the, the head honcho right now. Right, yeah, Riley Keough is the last one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because she's Lisa. Yeah. She's Lisa Marie's daughter. Yeah, yeah, but she's got she's got another kid, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's another kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one. There's a couple. Stay out of the shadows. <laughs> oh, are there? Okay, I'm gonna have to look up the Elvis family tree after we get off. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my number five is uh, Priscilla. Colin, what's your number four number for the year? Four. <clears throat> okay, so. My number four is going to be the best original horror movie that I saw this year. And it's an A24 movie, and it is called Talk to Me. Um, okay, this is also on my list. I think we, we all we have to mention this, right? Okay, all right. All right, so this is also on my list. Okay. Well, this is also my number four on my list as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there, I after I said I this. I didn't because I knew you all would. <laughs> um, okay, so... The premise is basically it takes the idea of a party game, kind of like yeah. It, it's, we're in a TikTok era, Colin. Yeah, like, so this, you this tick, you, you stream thing, the new uh, uh, thing that's sweeping sweeping Gen Z at this point, and it's also the new drug of choice for the younger generation. See, that's how I read it. Basically, this is like you know, at, at a party. Somebody says, you know, hey, do this drug and whatever. So it's like a cautionary yes. tale and how it can tear your life apart or whatever. But they come up with a decent gimmick, which is this mummified hand with like a curse written all over it and some kind of right that somebody's come across and uh, and they they sit around a couch and you grab the hand and say, talk to me. And uh, apparently there's like a 30 was it 30 second puff puff give rule where you can't is it 30 or like a 90 or something? maybe it was 90 seconds, I think it's 90 seconds. and then yeah, you have 90. to but what you're basically doing this is what the kids at gen z's up to today probably the kids because <laughs> uh, you got to warn them about this parents so they don't I, go out I, there I, I have talked to my son about, about, <laughs> about casual uh, possessions casual possessions yeah so <laughs> don't summon anything <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the idea right I it's like actually said that to my son do not summon anything yeah if you don't know what you're doing. Right. No no lesser summonings, no major summonings, no no demons of any kind. Uh this is possessed people, I guess, that uh are drawn to this kind. It reminded me a lot of uh the um uh 
It reminded me of Stir of Echoes was a movie that came to mind when I was watching this because that was also that was hypnotism. Only you're swapping out the hypnotism for, uh, you know, the, this possession. Yes. And you're like, well, how bad can that get? Well, the idea, I think, is that the main girl in the movie has recently lost her mother. So, of course, she wants to overstay her welcome. And then uh, this escalates. Yeah, in well, a she, series- acc- she accidentally runs into her mother in that side of the world, right? Like. Her mother comes through through someone else. Yeah, yeah. Through the Riley kid. Yeah, because that yeah, was, yeah. I think, what I was on, and that's why I don't want to spoil it. But the movie goes, um, it goes very dark. Um, there's mm-hmm. a, a sense of foreboding, gloom, and doom that just kind of pervades the whole thing, and you just kind of watch. It's one of those movies where people are making bad decisions that become horrible decisions uh you know accidents and just mistakes and just it's a snowball effect and and the movie what i liked about it was it wasn't afraid to kind of pursue its own logic uh you know right down into hell i mean it was it was very grim spooky it was creepy i remember i don't know that it was necessary i mean it was probably like you know one of the scarier movies of the year um and i would also i think it's uh directed by a uh, couple of i want to say they're australians it's a couple they of, are, of I brothers have their names right here michael they, and daniel they're denny uh Philippow and michael Philippow. Uh, yeah. i will say i think it's yeah. their first movie i think they had graduated from like short films or music videos probably short I films so. i think into this uh, a promising start. It feels yeah. kind of like, you know, where Jennifer Kent was with like the Babadook or something, you know, yeah. or mm-hmm. Robert Eggers with the witch. It's like, this is a promising start for these guys. Um, there was a, a special shout out to Miranda Otto from uh, Lord of the Rings, right? She was Yowen, right? And Owen, Yowen yeah. in Lord of the Rings uh, plays, has finally graduated to being the mom in movies like this. So she's the name, oh, yeah. I guess, that they were able to get for their low budget horror movie. And she has some of the best, uh, like, suspicious mom, you know. Yeah, she's uh, great. She really, she really does, yes. Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, tell me, you can tell me about the party because your brother already fessed up. You know, I mean, it's just like she was on the case that these kids knew what they were up to, you know, or at least thought she did. And, you know, who who knows that your kids are out there summoning, uh, you know, they're getting right. possessed. She, and Friday, she, she as, recording it on TikTok. Smart, streaming. Right, she is smart as, uh, as one of those moms can be without knowing that it's a demon possession. Yeah. yeah like she's on it, but, right. But she's just like, she's not prepared for what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, I mean, I think I liked it and I think I'm moving other movies, uh, off of the list, which I guess we'll talk about maybe runners up later on. But, um, because so often, Especially with playing with, you know, like ghost movies, you got to get the Blumhouse template. And this is like, this is a movie done outside of that, you know? And so yeah. it does feel very different. Thank um, God, because I'm not a fan of ghost movies or, or even, even kind of, this is more demon possession and what have you. But even when it veers into that tour, even I'm like, eh, I don't know. And I really like it. Yeah, because they were, they made the characters, I think, uh, more, more. I mean, they're reckless teenagers or young adults, but it felt more realistic. 
Yeah, and it, and the relationships between the characters felt yeah. really nice. Yeah, because because I think there's a family, and the main character um, I forgot her name, but has become part of that family since her mother had died something like a year before, and she's sort of kind of quote unquote adopted because her father is also a character who's also dealing with the loss of his wife, and maybe doesn't have the capacity to help his daughter go through the same thing because he's also dealing with it. And so the extended family that she becomes a part of becomes um, an important thing to her. And that extended family sort of becomes the focus of bad things that are happening to them. Yeah. And so you really feel that through her as the main character. Yeah. Sophie Wilde was the actress. I don't yes. recall the character's name, but she was really good. I thought everybody she was, was really she good was for Mia. Me. Mia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I mean, if you're if you're looking for a new, uh, you know, kind of new, I don't know, a new wrinkle on an old idea, right? Talk to me. I thought fit the bill is like that's probably what I thought was the best original horror movie um, of the year. Uh, Sean, what's your number four? My number four for the year. I will let Michaela announce because I'm pretty sure she has me dead to rights. Michaela, go for it. Air. Air! Sean was the only person I knew in real life that was excited for this movie. Oh, wait. It was, that was a runner. I, that's one of my runner-ups. Uh, Air. very excited for this movie. You know what? Because, you know what I did? I grew up, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago during possibly the greatest, um, uh, uh, national sports run ever of watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls take six championships almost in a row. And it was one of the most exciting times of in, in sports history. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, especially if you've watched, like we've had since then, The Last Dance, the documentary has come out, which is also like a fascinating watch because they got unprecedented access to the Bulls for that final year and the whole history of them. So we get um, plus the, the memes it gave us. Let's not forget the amazing memes we've gotten out of that time. I mean, and we, <laughs> right, and we memes uh, consisting of some of like some of the actors that I really like watching. I mean, we got Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck. Say what you want about him, I like him as an actor. I think he's really good. I think he's a good director as well. He directed uh, it, right? He uh, Ben Affleck directed this movie. Um, it is it, it is the story of it is the story of Nike in the nineteen because uh, I forgot the official years. It's the 80s, but yeah. I, th- I think it's the 80s, yeah. It's the early 80s, because I think Michael Jordan came to the Bulls in 84. Don't quote me on that. Um, I, but I think it was around there, 84, 85. Um, so it is the story of Nike, who is not doing so well when we are introduced to them in the story. And the executives and kind of the business of signing a big or up-and-coming NBA star, someone, you know, uh, hitching your wagon to what you hope is going to be a great star in the future for your shoes. And so Nike is trying to figure out what do we do? Do we sign three stars, make shoes for them, try and go on for that? Meanwhile, like Reebok's kicking their ass and a bunch of other ones are doing well. And the, an executive gets the idea, hey, what if we don't spread this out? What if we focus on one dude? And what if that one dude is Michael Jordan? Before then, he was Michael Jordan. Before he was yeah. Michael Jordan. But the audience knows who Michael Jordan is. And so you're, you're, you're the kind of like the excitement is, you know, what's going to happen, but the excitement is still built in 
because you're like, we know they get them, but what is the process of getting there? What we know what Michael Jordan will become, but what took, what did it take to convince him to sign with Nike, who was uh, not the greatest choice at the time? We, Adidas, Reebok, a bunch of other ones. Nike was lowest on the totem pole to 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 do sort of this thing. And what would it take to get what you think will be one of the brightest stars to sign with your company to launch your product? And 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 it's it's a huge combination of you know a star and what you can do specifically for them. And it talks about the whole process of like it goes through things like the design of the shoe. Knowing that if they add like little things, like if they add color to his shoe, if they put red and black on his shoe, Michael Jordan's going to step on the court wearing the shoe, getting fined every single game for wearing the shoe. Because rules for the NBA at that point were like, you have to wear only white shoes at the time. And these seem like maybe details that many people wouldn't care about. But this movie kind of makes them exciting. It makes it exciting uh, it makes executives at a shoe uh, company exciting. Well, see, that was the thing. That's the irony of the movie, right? It's like it's an underdog story with yeah. about executives at a shoe company. Right. <laughs> it's you an know. underdog story with executives at a shoe company that you know is now and has been huge. Yeah. Nike executives. It makes you want them to succeed. Right. Even though you know they do. And become a huge corporation. But this is a weird, like, this is like a weird consumer, like, consumerism fairy tale genre that's happening now, though. It, it really this is. This is the whole subgenre. Because you had the Blackberry movie, you had all the Steve Jobs movies. Right. Like, I, like, the whole, yeah. like, Colin, you said, like, ex- executive underdog is like a weird subgenre. <laughs> it it yeah. really is, because you know these fuckers got rich <laughs> off of everything. <laughs> yeah, but it's, that, mean, it's that kind of, it does have that rocky vibe it to does, it yeah. right where it has it because it has matt damon as this schlub like who goes around and you know he's the guy who has to try and and find these guys and and sign them and so you really kind of get behind him because it becomes like a do or die you know situation for this right, guy because we all because I, and, it, and we all want to see matt damon do well at his job that has become a subgenre of movie yeah who just go through and look at him it's like we want matt damon to do well because he plays characters that actually want to do well. Holy shit, Michaela just showed up on my screen. It's the first time I've seen her all night. Um, oh, good. Glad I but, could finally join you. Yeah, you disappeared from mine, for the record. But you want these characters to do well, because at this point in time, they are not doing well. They are down on their luck. They are trying to do uh, the best that they can. It is, if you, you know... Uh, es- eschew the you know that it's a giant corporation trying to make money, which is basically what all. You know, I was gonna say honestly, like the more you talk about, it, the more I'm like, this is the social network all over again. Yeah, and I love the social network. Yeah. And- I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine, Holly, but I I guess that I think you saw that movie too late because you saw it like what two years ago. It was a, two years ago. Was it last year? I don't remember. Um, I didn't see it. Yeah, but, it's not too late. It's but never too late to hate that movie. Air makes it like air makes it's like it's it's one of those movies that makes all the the machinations that are going on here like nail biting, right? Like yes. there's so much on the line to, you know, uh get this part or get that part. They have to go through uh Michael Jordan's mom 
who yes. becomes basically Who's his. Viola Davis in this movie, yeah. yeah, and she's like fiercely okay. protective, and you know, I mean, I guess by, based on all accounts, because I I read an interview uh, with Ben Affleck who did talk to Jordan about like you know, okay, we're doing this movie, and you know, and he's like you know, talk to my mom because it was. You know, make sure it's about his mom because he sees his mom, I think, as uh, really uh, shepherding that early and protecting him and getting him the deal because she's a fierce negotiator in yeah. the movie. Yeah. You know, she is. Um, yeah, she got him deals that were unprecedented at the time because he got uh, from this. He got like uh, a cut of every every sale of every shoe he yeah. went to Jordan. Yeah, which is unheard of. Unheard of deals yeah. and everything in this movie. Viola Davis as his mom becomes like because Michael Jordan is in the movie, but he is not. Well, they don't show that his face for the entire movie. Yeah, like he because who's going to play him really? I mean, well, you, you yeah, know, he you looms so right. large. You can't you know. cast Michael Jordan. It's impossible. Well, isn't he notoriously like litigious about showing his face and things he doesn't sign off on too? Well, that? That, he is that, but also that wasn't. Um, I don't think that was. Um, the litigiousness of it wasn't part of why they didn't show him in the movie. It was more so that I, he, he is a big part of it, but the focus, as Colin just said, is more on other people as far as getting the deal done and the history of it. Yeah, the deal-making is almost like you don't get to talk to him until, you know, you got to go through yeah. all these other people, yeah. you know, before we can even reach out and talk to the guy, you know. Right. The final plea does go to Jordan, and the final plea is done by Matt Jamin at a conference table directly to him at the end, and it's great, and he makes great points. He's like, no one at this table will ever be remembered, but you will and, you know, it's a great speech at the end that convinces, that means a lot of things, but it's one of the key moments that convinces Michael to sign with my, uh, with Nike. And it kind of changes, it changes Michael's future, it changes Nike's future. It, it's fascinating. It's basically, it's um, uh, a high-level documentary, I'll say, you know, um, because it's showing, it's the same reasons I would be fascinated with a documentary showing this whole uh, process of getting Michael to sign with Nike and making the shoes and what they had to do and paying the fines he would get for every time he stepped in the court. Um, I think it's a great story. I think everyone, I mean, plus Matt, the cast, Matt Damon, um, Jason Bateman is great Matt doing, you know, his Jason Bateman, uh, stuff. Um, it, ben Affleck in a, uh, uh, a Jerry curl mullet almost. Is it was in, it, was it Chris Messina is the Chris Messina uh, that yeah, he yeah, is yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> Great Chris Messina is a fucking out of control. Like, isn't Michael Michael Jordan's agent? I think. Mm. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah right. Right. Yeah. Chris Messina's fantastic, and his. I like Chris Messina. Yeah. He's great in this movie. Yeah. And there's a lot of, I mean, you know, like Ben Affleck in uh, the Windbreaker suits, sweatsuits. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's fantastic. Like it is. It's a dad movie for sure, one hundred percent. But it's also <laughs> just a really well told story. Uh, but I, uh, by I think, um, really good filmmakers, and also I think the fact that I most of these guys are really good friends, it it helps in that comfortableness, uh, getting into all of it, and they're all comfortable with each other, and re and you know like working with each other, and a lot of that really comes across in this movie. So I mean, air, uh, yeah, dad movie of the year, but also just really good, and you know just really, um. Not a life or death story, nothing like that. Just kind of, it, it's lighter. 
than air. Oh, but it feels like, like, I mean, it does kind of feel like, you know, I mean, they give it stakes. I think that's they you know why it it's stakes. exciting. But I right. remember thinking when they announced that movie, I was sitting there going like, you know, it's like, well, if everybody's getting kind of, you know, uh, there's no, the kids today don't have uh, G.I. Joe or Transformers or whatever toys, right? I mean, like, I, I suppose you could adapt Fortnite or something. It's like, what appeals to sure. them? It's like, but every single kid wants a, a, a Jordan for, well, or a Nike shoe for Christmas, you know, these like massively expensive, crazy collector shoes. I mean, it's like, and I, you know, I know there's a, a bunch of people into cars. I was like, and they're making a Ferrari movie. It's like they're, they're tapping into, uh, you know, like these other well-known, I mean, Hollywood's basically still doing what they have always done. Right. It's just now they're going after like real life stuff that like you have you, you know an interest in the shoes. Well, right. Here's the story of the Air Jordan. <laughs> right. Everyone, everyone knows the Air Jordan. Like, mm. like it is the shoe, and here's the story of that. And so when you you know associate those things, it makes for like you said, Colin. It gives them stakes when you know the outcome of the movie, and for a movie to give it stakes and kind of, uh, uh, you know, make you want to watch to see what happens, even though you already know what's going to happen. I mean, that's a good movie to me. So, Air, number four. There it is. Thank you, Michaela, for knowing me. <laughs> At least for <laughs> one dead movie up here. You were talking about that movie like before it came out, and then you went and saw it, and I was like, he's on a whole journey with this movie. <laughs> oh, like that, yeah, that whole thing, like, oh. Loved it, loved it, loved it. All right. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it should be higher on the list. I don't know. Um, uh, Have you ever watched the TV show Silicon Valley? Oh, uh, I watched the first two seasons of it, and then I fell off. Because that is a whole show about underdogs trying to become executives. Right, but they don't become executives <laughs> of anything I know. It's all fictional. So I'm, I, I, it got me for two seasons, which I really did like. Uh, oh, you I need real-world stakes to invest. Yeah, they have to tap into Sean's consumerism specifically. I really need that uh, capitalism consumerism thing to really hit me dead center. <laughs> this movie did. I mean, Nike must have loved this movie. Uh, and, and just for a, from a PR standpoint, I it bet. must have been must have been great for them. Oh yeah, and uh, and I recognize that yes, this will help sell shoes and Jordans and everything. But you know what? Okay, that's fine. Made me feel good, and, and uh, that is uh, corporate consumerism uh, at its worst slash best. So what are you going to do? <laughs> I accept it for this movie. Number four air for me, Holly. What is your number four for the year? My number four, um, again, it was an unexpected movie that I just stumbled upon. My number four is Reptile. Uh, it was oh, a net- this movie. Oh, yeah. Is this the cop movie? This is the cop movie. Yeah, this Shit. is a police. Is, I gotta watch this movie. I haven't even police- heard of this. What is it? It is a police procedural movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a detective movie. Uh, it's a Netflix movie starring uh, Benicio del Toro, Alicia Silverstone, and Justin Timberlake. There you go. Um, yeah, it's. It was surprising. This movie, I mean, we've talked about detective movies on this show endlessly, and I will never stop talking about them because I will always have that itch that needs to be scratched. I love detective movies. We all know our passion for, like, Zodiac and True Detective, and this definitely has those vibes. It is a slow burn for sure, but it is a solid movie. And a Netflix original, but it is solid, like, it, it had me. Um, Benicio del Toro is fantastic, and I think he 
he helped. I think he helped write it. Maybe those. I don't know if he did the script. He did do the screenplay. Maybe he did the story. What's it about? I'm not sure. I've never heard of so, it. So, um, yeah. yeah. So Benicio del Toro plays a detective in New England, and he comes across this case that um, it's Justin Timberlake's wife is murdered. He's a Justin Timberlake's a realtor. His wife is murdered, and it's Benicio del Toro's case. So he's trying to solve it and within his like process um he's kind of like learning more about his his um, precincts and the people around him and it's just it's a grander mystery than than what he initially uh, figures to be and it's just i, I don't want to give anything away um please don't because i, I don't want to give anything away it's so and, hard to like talk about it and Doug Toro was one of the writers of the screenplay. Yes, I, I, yeah, I knew he had a part in writing it. Um, it's like I said, it, it really does have those like true detective or like Zodiac vibes, slow burn, but it's it's just so well done. Like Benicio del Toro is just absolutely fantastic. This is the movie I wanted kill, the killer to be. So okay. I, I didn't like the killer. I thought it was boring as fuck. Oh no, um, I love the killer. It was. A- I hated it. It was so boring. <laughs> so I struggled big time. With oh it. man. Yeah. See, this is one of the movies that I'm. I'm just like I haven't even gotten to the killer yet, so I, I can't yeah. get it. Yeah, no, this is what I wanted the killer to be. Is this movie? It's 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 the the the, the Fincher movie I wanted. <laughs> Fincher didn't do. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's. I don't know what I can say about it without giving anything away because it really is like that kind of movie that you just have to watch and see what happens. Um, but it's it's a great police procedural. Um, I. I, I love that Benicio Del Toro and Elisa Silverstone got, like, a second chance because you remember Excess Baggage? <laughs> that movie was ever, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Wow, forgot about that movie. <laughs> it was shit. And it's like they finally got to do a movie together that, like, is they're both really good in this movie. Good. <laughs> this yeah. was their second chance. Right. We need more Elisa Silverstone because what yeah. was the thing she was in? The Cabin? or The, uh, the Lodge. The Lodge. Oh, the Lodge, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she wasn't in it for that long. Yeah, they're both fantastic in this movie. It's it's so good. Um, Justin Timberlake is doing really fantastic with with this character. Um, it's good. It's not a character I've seen him really do. Um, I know you hate. I know you hate the Social Network. What did you I think did. of Justin Timberlake in it? I actually like him. I I I think he's a fine actor. He's pretty I, good. He's pretty I, good. Yeah, I think we did the time movie too, right? Yeah, yeah. In time. In time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have an uh, issue with him as an actor. I think okay. he's fine. He's he's really good in the most depressing movie that's ever been made, Alpha Dog. Oh, Alpha Dog! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it really is. Don't ever if anyone okay. ever makes me watch that fucking movie again. I swear <laughs> to God, that that oh, can't unsee that movie. Especially now, considering. Well, yeah, 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 and so, based on a true story yeah. at all as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um, yeah. So this movie, um, I know the the death that he is investigating, that the BC Del Toro is investigating, is loosely based on a true investigation. Um, I don't know much about that true crime wise. I don't know much about that. Um, but he's he's doing great work on this. There's a, there's a really fantastic scene with him and his partner are in the house of uh, Justin Timberlake, you know, asking him questions about his wife and everything about the murder. And it's like very, like the tone is very dark and very suspect. 
And Benny Sildertor is just, like, wandering around the kitchen, like, looking around. And he just suddenly he looks at his partner and he's like, I love this kitchen. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like, there's little moments like that that I'm like, he's perfect. This is everything I want it to be. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's it's a great movie. It's slow burn. Um, yeah, it's, it, you have to watch it. It's it's what I wanted the killer to be. Sorry, Colin. But it is. Um, so, yeah, Reptile is my is my next one on my list it is uh you know like i said i never heard of it i heard of the killer you wonder because i guess you get advertised stuff appears on your feed right (laughs) on your social media networks that's tailored to you and they must know that i like david fincher right so i knew that the killer existed and mm-hmm. I had heard of Maestro, but I didn't know when Maestro was coming out. The Killer, I knew when it was coming out. And mm-hmm. this one, I never heard of. But, I mean, I'm into that type of movie. It's well, just... I remember, like, a few months ago, we were talking before the show one night. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's that new Fincher movie coming out. And all of you were like, what? Fincher's got a new movie coming out? Like, it just wasn't talked about. Yeah, this is the curse of uh, Netflix streaming. So how did yeah. you find yeah. How did you find Reptile? I, I really don't know. It just popped up somewhere in one of my It was probably like random clips showed up on social media because that's how I saw because I only remember like I saw Benicio Del Toro and Justin mm-hmm. Timberlake in a scene together. I'm like, what the hell is this? And that being you know what? In a very, I think I follow Alicia Silverstone on, on Instagram, so it could have been that she posted something about it. I don't know, but it just sure. like popped up and I was like, I'm going to check this out. And mm. yeah, I was not disappointed. The state of the movie industry sucks. Okay. Yeah, it just sucks. <laughs> Make movies important again. Here we go. Make them short, short and important. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Oh, yeah. My number four is Reptile. Good stuff. Michaela, number four. All right. My number four is Talk to Me. Um, I just watched this for the first time like two weeks ago, so it's still pretty fresh in my memory. Uh, I did not see it over the summer when it came out, like everybody else did. But um, I was pleasantly surprised. Like I, I feel like the premise is pretty slim and something you've probably seen and heard before, but it's executed really well. So to me, that doesn't really matter, you know? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, I I think it was a really really good portrayal of teenagers. Like we talk about a lot in this show. Like, so many movies get it so wrong, so wrong. And, like, these kids felt like kids I went to high school with. These felt like parties I went to. They they had that perfect, like, the perfect teenager balance is you have to balance that, like, selfish drive where, like, you come first with the, like, I'm also immortal and I'm going to live forever yep. the mentality that teenagers have. And this movie really nailed that, like. Kids do think they're invincible at that age, and they don't it, it, give a it, shit. No, it's funny that they think they're invincible, and yeah. they, they really don't realize that they're not. Like, yeah. yeah it's, it's, they have no concept of health insurance. They don't understand, like, things like that, you know? <laughs> no, um, life. But I love that they took a possession movie and made it like, what if you could microdose being possessed? And it felt really <laughs> awesome, you know? Like, you actually talk about how it feels good, and I was like, okay, because I was about to have a big problem with the movie if they didn't explain what the appeal was of yeah. being possessed. <laughs> um, because it, it yeah, because from the audience perspective, it does not look fun. So like Mm-mm. they needed to explain that and they did a good job. And I felt like the rules they established were just enough. It wasn't too many and it also wasn't too vague. Um, it's also enough that it's only what the teenagers can conceive of because they only right. think that the 90 minute thing is because I think somebody went that far and came out or 90, uh, 
90 minutes, 90, whatever it is, and yeah. came out of it and they were fine. They're like, all right, that's the limit, only because they don't know how far it can go. And right. Excited on that, yeah. The only thing I can really knock this movie for is, and it's not just this movie, it's a symptom of a bigger problem, but I am so tired of grief and trauma being like the main point of a movie, specifically horror movies. It seems to be in horror movies a lot lately, but like, it can just be about a guy killing people. It doesn't have to be any deeper than that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and the whole thing with her mom and her mom's suicide, it was like, Jesus, you're really piling on the bleak shit onto this movie, you know? (laughs) Like, it could just be a possession movie. It doesn't have to be also her resolving her grief over her losing her mom. It doesn't have to be that. It gives her Um, motivation. I guess that was the the way I saw it. It was the motivator for her to to violate the, the primary rule of the, you know, the 90 minutes. Right. But this and, is the thing in movies now of how, count how many movies when you go to the theaters now, someone has both parents still alive. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's none of them. I, like, like, this is, I'm so tired of it being like, Oh, I tragically lost my parent. And that's it's almost, it's almost, if you have two parents alive, you're a fucking loser. It's just like, yeah, oh, like it's, I mean, I'm, you know, like, I'm thinking about most of the movies we saw this year, like, most of the horror movies that came out, one parent. That's almost all of them. And it's, it's to me, it's just cheap, and it's a lazy way to create emotional motivation for your character. Uh, like, killing off a, a, parent's, uh, a parent of a child in movies is the new, like, killing the wife or girlfriend. It is what it feels like. And I'm just like, it feels cheap, and it feels lazy, and it feels predictable. And that's the only thing I can really knock this movie for. But, I mean, that's a minor gripe with you know, and like I said, it's not just this movie. It's most movies now, especially horror movies. No one has two parents in horror movies anymore. <laughs> no one. Uh, but yeah, I really and if they do, it, one of them is brutally murdered at the beginning in the cold open. It, 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 yeah, they're only living long enough so they can be Batman. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. it, so. Um, yeah, and maybe I'll talk about that again when it appears in another movie on my list because it was the theme this year. So. Um, but that, yeah, number four is talk to me. Colin, what's your uh, number three? Number three. All right. Still going on the uh, trend of uh, the movies. Uh, like I said, these are maybe not the best movies of the year, but like I have seen this movie three times. Uh, yeah. I had such a good time watching it. And it is Gran Turismo. Oh. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Now, <laughs> this is. A movie. I know, because I, I, I actually was unprepared to like this movie as much as I did. And so much so that, like I said, I've seen it three times. It's like this year's Top Gun Maverick. Um, The story is unbelievable, but true. Like I went and looked it up and basically all the events in the movie, they may be out of order, but are the true story of Jan Mardenborough, who was this kid who played video games, right? He played Gran Turismo. It's the, it's the ultimate fantasy, Colin. It feels, yeah, it's the last <laughs> Starfighter of 2023, yes, yes, right? Yes. Because I'm like, oh, I've like seen this story game. before. It was the last Starfighter. <laughs> so he sits in his bedroom and he plays a video game and Nissan, which is called Nissan in the movie, so we've all been oh, saying it wrong, <laughs> apparently, uh, has Orlando Bloom is a marketing exec over there who makes an astute uh, observation. He's like, kids today play video games. They Uber around and they do all this other stuff and they don't have a love for the open road. He's talking to Nissan executives and he's like, but the players of Gran Turismo, which is a real video game for the PlayStation, he's like, 
they actually do. And so what if we could prove, right? This is like your entire, like an untapped audience base. So we'll go to those players and see if the skills that they have learned sitting on their couch <laughs> translate into driving real race cars. Now, not just driving. We're saying going like 240 miles an hour in a race car and a rocket, right? Yeah. And this this is what's unbelievable to me about this story. Like you'd think that they made this up, but this is like a real deal. This, this kid, is a, this is also like every parent's worst nightmare on the flip side. <laughs> is that every kid who sits there playing video games is gonna watch me look look, look, see what I'm doing could turn into something someday. I know, but who would have thought? I mean, I guess it's you know, I mean, because you when you think about it, you're like, well, okay, it's a it's a movie based on a on a video game. I guess it's More not like there's no plot taken because the game is a racing simulator. So this yes. is a, a weird, which has been around for like 20 something years. Yeah. So it's a, it's an odd thing to take, but I guess there was this real life story about this kid who was the best in the GT Academy that Nissan put on and then became like a real race car driver and actually had a podium podiumed at Le Mans. Like, wow. Like, <laughs> like, Le the really? wow. At, yeah. So you're like, what? Like when you're watching it, you can't believe this is true. I had to go like, look it up. And sure enough, the actual Jan Mardenborough plays, he's like the, uh, he, he did the stunt car driving in the movie. It's uh, Neil Blomkamp directed it. The guy who did district nine right, and yeah. Chappie and, and Elysium. Um, but the, the standout. So, you know, you're like, okay, I know that this is, it's meant to sell copies of the, the video game. Right. I mean, but I mean, what better? Yeah. 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 But you're like, what better? This is, this movie is basically saying that this video game will teach you how to drive, teach you how to race. Like it's so accurate, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, if you come away believing that, I don't know. I mean, I guess it must be true that they, they, they put, he was uh, in real life, I guess he was not the first person to go through this. There had been several and they all ended up racing, but I think he was like one of the more, uh, successful ones. But the, um, the real MVP of the movie is, uh, David Harbor, um, from stranger nice. things who has been pursuing, one of those careers um, where I, I like what he's doing as far as, okay, I'm a, I'm a star on, on stranger things, but I'm trying to parlay that into um, both starring roles and some stuff that doesn't work out so well, like Hellboy. Uh, sure. That, That's a good character work. Yeah. Violent night, I think was a success, but he's like, he's trying to, you know, do the, the old school actor, graduate up through the ranks you know actually appear in character moments in in these movies and he turns in like really good work i mean he's basically i think the, the movie's basically it comes down to like uh it's like a surrogate father real father he, he the, the does that, right he does that very well oh and i just this just popped into my head how do you think he would be like is he like a, a version of like the new bruce willis think of like david harbour doing like die hard like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I can do that. He could do that. He could pull that off the sarcasm, kind of like the real life quote unquoteness to it. Like he I, he serves that role very well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's very good. At, I mean, he's basically cast as the uh he's the former race car driver who never really made it, 
right? Who's yep. become a mechanic for like a racing team and is, you know, Orlando Bloom's character eventually reaches out to him to like, you got to coach the, you got to lead this GT Academy. And he's the guy who's like, all of you suck. You're all, you know, playing video <laughs> games and there's no way this is going to work. And then you yep. watch him kind of gradually, um, you know, soften. He, he gets the lines like, you impressed me, kid. Good job. That's been a hard ass for a half hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he's it, like, like, he's can, like, this kid's got something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think there's a, yeah. a respect, a kind of begrudging respect that it's like, oh, the kid actually can do it. And then that kind of reignites his like, you know, oh, I remember what it was like to, you know, when the car is doing this and you, you feel like that, you know. And uh, then, this is you know. everything Colin is feeling when he's at his uh, PlayStation Four controller steering wheel. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> see that's the other thing. Like I say, I've I've seen it three times. I I play the video <laughs> game. I was playing yes. the video game before the movie came out, and uh, so <laughs> you know you're like, oh yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I the the thing I guess also that I kind of like is um, the recreations. If you're into racing, it's the recreations of like real world tracks. Uh, it feels very real. You know, I've seen even Ford versus Ferrari, which is, I think, a better movie than this. I mean, it's an excellent film, but use CG in a way that, like, I could tell. Uh, This one might be using CG, but I can't tell. It feels, like, real. The races are exciting, and, um, you know, there's rivalry between other players. There's our players, other racers, you know, because they're, like, your video game kids. So, you know, it's that against all odds kind of he's got to prove himself. And, I mean, it sounds formulaic, and I guess that it is, but it was, you know, I was I was looking at him like – said, if you do it well – you do it right well because I looked up the writers. Uh, one of them, like I said, wrote Creed Three, and the other one wrote American Sniper. And it's like, so these aren't like, uh, you know, you're just pulling some guy off the street to, you know, write his first movie. It's like right. they know how to make this kind of movie. And so if you, I, I guess I'm making the appeal that if you uh, overlooked Gran Turismo, it's like, okay, it's another video game or it's about racing or whatever. I think you should give it uh, a look because it's actually like a, a pretty good movie. It was a, it was one of the best, I guess, you know, you used to have like audience experiences, but it was, it was, it was just, it was a, it was a fun, I, I got, you know, like uh, it was extremely entertaining and, and I just, I really enjoyed it. So um, Gran Turismo number three, Sean, what's your number three? Um, I want to go back and say something about the writers. I think it's Zach Balin. Zach Balin. Okay. He's Creed three King yeah. Richard and Gran Turismo. Yes. Yeah. Balin. Yeah. And it's like and, Jason and, Hall or something. Or yeah. is he the and other one? The, he's the crow, the new crow. Mm-hmm. He's the writer on that. And a Bob Bob Marley movie apparently coming. Out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. see that. Oh, he and wrote that, that too. Yeah, okay, so I guess that well. that's what I'm saying. This is the pedigree behind it. Like, don't overlook right. it. I mean, it's Neil Blomkamp, right? Uh, and, and these writers, and it's it's a very well put together movie. If you're just like you know, okay, it's an ad for but a, a, a right. PlayStation it game. Very, it looks very slick and PlayStation and all that stuff, but it's got some substance to it. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's it's arousing. Enough, enough it's it's an aspirational yeah. film, I guess. An aspirational that's hero. Fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine as long as it pulls that off well, which it sounds like it does. Yeah, you root for the kid, you know. Yeah, good. As long as you get in there and root for him, if they make you feel like you need to root for him, that's 
it's doing what it needs to do. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number three for 2023 is a tie. Oh, come on. Sean. Fine. No. Jayden. All right. No, All right. So we're bumping the old man in the foot, right? Or whatever. And the, what was it? The old man in the, the fool? Bumping that. <laughs> What are you doing here? All right, no, now the tie is between two animated films because I wanted to highlight the sort of uh, really good animation and storytelling we had this year. So my tie for number three is Across the Spider Verse, and also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Now these, because of these two, they share kind of a similar uh, kind of storyline and arc. You know, it's about the younger heroes kind of growing up into who we know they will eventually be. We've got a young Spider-Man and a young Ninja Turtles kind of trying to figure out who they will because there's a lot of backstory to this and plus there's a history to both these characters. We know where they're going to end up, but we like, I think at certain points uh, you know, not everyone likes a prequel but sometimes we do like to see how a character gets to where we know them. And we Don loves the coming of age story. You know what? If they do it right, it may because I'm a dad, and I and I know that <laughs> I don't, maybe that's a cheap way of explaining why I like these movies. But I, I'm a dad, and it, it reminds me of being a dad because they explore a lot of those themes, um, and and the way some of them are written, it really reminds me of my kid, my son, my 12 year old. And the experiences he goes through, they they really do hit on some of the dialogue that my kid and and his generation uses, which is very funny to like see it in real life and then see it reflected in uh, an animated movie. It's it, it is it's really fun for me, but it's really like across the Spider Verse is I think it's one of the of the better movies of the year it's a great story it's a continuation of into the spider-verse from i think a few years ago um i think what you really focus on story and animation the stories are if not familiar they're still good because they are coming of age stories they're all about finding what you're supposed to do in life and you you trip up and you make mistakes you know on your way there um but you still get there and it's still something you can cheer for uh, but also the animation of these movies, I think, is fantastic. In, Across the Spider-Verse is one of, I think, the most beautiful, like, um, artistic movies of the year. Like, you could frame a lot of the shots in Across the Spider-Verse as just, like, it's like beautiful watercolors at certain points. And they go from that to, like, stuttery animation to really... Uh, a, just great it's a great spectrum of animation that is combined in these movies ninja turtles is more of a it's more of a grimy gritty hand-drawn thing where it's it's messier but it's but it works for the story of the you know four turtles who come from a sewer who have a rat for a father their animations can be a little messier and a little more smudged but the characters they come up with throughout both of these movies are they really play well with the main characters. I I, I don't think I la- I laugh so much during the opening, like thirty minutes of Across the Spider Verse when he's dealing with because you have the opening act villain you have to deal with who you know you, you deal with him but he ends up coming back later as the big villain of the movie and it's it's really great storytelling. It's really great animation. It's like it's a visual feast for the eyes 
And they're telling familiar stories, but when you do that combined with a greater um, uh, a greater ability to animate it, and you know, the animation makes you feel a lot more than maybe previous versions of these characters uh, uh, that you've seen. It, they're really heartfelt stories, and the animation behind it is really backing it up. Um, I think, like, um, I, I may have gotten a, a, a strange look or two when I mentioned that, it, well, I mean, it was a tie, but the animated films, but they're really, like, they're really doing good in this arena. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said Marvel's on the downfall, but they're also doing different aspects that are really kicking ass. And I think the Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, and then next year's Beyond the Spider-Verse um, are really doing very well at the storytelling and the arcs of these characters. And the animation really backs it up and enforces the story they're trying to tell. And it really gets... It, it's funny. It's emotional. I've had feelings throughout all of these. Um, and it's, it, it's, I think it's really good storytelling and they're, they're really doing, and it's fun. I mean, the, the turtles movie was, uh, written by team. It's Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. You know, the guys behind super bad made a turtles movie and the comedy is really great because it's, it's overlapping dialogue. It's jokes that if you aren't listening or paying attention, will pass you by, but if you catch them, they're really funny. Um, it's very entertaining stuff, and it, it's really enjoyable. And, you know, uh, uh, in the year 2023, which was, I mean, may have been a struggle for most folks, it was for me to find levity and jokes and entertainment in the stuff you're watching, because um, I watched a lot of downer stuff as well throughout the years, documentaries mm -hmm. and movies and everything, and horror movies, and stuff that's not so, you know, positive. Finding the positive in this year came in these two movies, and it really is more. They get serious, but it is lighthearted and it is funny, and it really ends up in a good place where you feel good. You feel good when you're done with the movie, and that's really what came across in these two movies. And you know, you want to spotlight the animation because you know the artists work hard on this stuff, and it really is beautiful. Go watch Across the Spider Verse. There's some beautiful stuff in that movie. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really entertaining and from an artistic standpoint, really, you know, it's top tier stuff. So it's going to be those two movies for my number three, uh, across the Spider-Verse and Mutant Mayhem, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, my number three. Holly, what is your number three for this year? My number three was a movie experience for me. Uh, my, my number three is four things. Is this the one you, did you take a friend of this? I did. I took my friend Jenna and traumatize her. Apparently. I traumatized the fuck out of this girl. So yeah. When you gave us your <laughs> a slight review of it, that it was uh, it was something else. I, I did yeah. research and I'm like, oh, I understand why. Yeah. Bring somebody else with you would traumatize them. Yes. So I I took my my friend Jenna, my poor sweet friend Jenna. She um she doesn't own a TV. And she hadn't been to a movie in like twenty years. Right? I know. What did you do? <laughs> I took her to this movie. What did you do? <laughs> but honestly, like it worked out really well because I was originally supposed to see it with my friend Drew, and he couldn't. And I am so glad that I didn't see that movie with him <laughs> because it is. It, I I challenge you to find someone to watch that movie with that won't make you feel awkward. It's not possible. It's no. not possible. 
Um, I can't imagine. So this is uh, it's it's more. This is like an art film retelling of the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Bride of Frankenstein. More, yeah, more like Frankenstein, really. Um, it, it's it, Frankenstein, Frankenstein finding his sexuality. Kind of, yeah. No, like when she asked, she was like, "So I don't know anything about this movie. What, what are we saying?" And I was like, "Oh, well, it's kind of like a feminist Frankenstein." That's <laughs> how I put it. Um, this movie is batshit crazy. It's a banana sandwich. Um, it's, it's Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe. Um, Willem Dafoe is the Dr. Frankenstein character. Um, this is a, Yor- a Yorgos Lanthimos movie? It is. So, something with thicker deer, lobster, um, the favorite. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, if you know any of his stuff, like, you know, it's going to be a crazy movie. Um, and Emma Stone is sublime in this movie. She's so wonderful. She, basically, the, um, Willem Dafoe's character, the Dr. Frankenstein's character, who's, like, grossly deformed and scarred, and he's kind of a Frankenstein himself a little bit, um, but he is an experimental doctor, and he puts a baby brain in in a woman corpse body. Um, and so it's basically Emma Stone is like a full-grown woman, but she's got the mind of a baby, so she's basically like growing up, learning about life, learning about all these things. Uh-huh. And that's really the whole movie of like her experiencing life and experiencing all of the things that a person experiences, but in like a rapid pace. And it's just shocking and it's grotesque and it's awful and hilarious and it makes me feel like every single emotion you can feel in one viewing experience i i couldn't look away it's just a horrific movie that i could not look away from for a second jenna there was so many moments that jenna was like hugging her knees and like looking away and I had to tell her when parts were over she was just horrified <laughs> but she also didn't hate it like that's the that's the part about this movie that's just crazy it's so gross and so weird but it's also just endearing and charming and gorgeous it's it's a stunning movie it's so beautiful um it's this kind of like um like sci-fi like steampunk victorian world kind of thing right. um you know, so it's it's like this fantastical world that's kind of familiar, but it's kind of out of the ordinary. It, it, so it's it's just a completely surreal experience. Yeah, this is a surreal art movie, um, and it just it floored me. I, I I walked out of there in shock. I was like, that was a legit movie experience. You know, I feel like there's not many of those anymore. Like you go to a movie and you're just like, I am not going to forget about this. Or like ever, like it's just gonna stay with me in the best way and the worst way. Traumatizing, gorgeous, all of the above. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is hilarious. Like there is some dialogue in this movie. It is it is based on a book. Um, yeah, there's some dialogue in this movie that is just amazing. My friend Jen is a poet. She's a writer, so like a lot of the the writing in this movie, she was just like, this is amazing. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, and some of it's just so funny. But man, it, it is a movie that's going to stay with you. A lot of it really is horrifying and really gross. And it's 
unbelievably uncomfortable. Um, a lot of this movie really is like Frankenstein, uh, the Frankenstein character. Her name's Bella. Bella discovering her sexuality is 90% of this movie. <laughs> and it gets really graphic. Um, but man, it's, it is something. Like, it is a spectacle. Um, it's, it's definitely an art kind of movie. I don't recommend it for everyone, but for, for our audience, for us, I would say, like, it's, it's an experience that you need to have watching this movie. Um, be very careful who you watch it with. Probably watch it alone. <laughs> oh, I will. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it, it's pretty incredible. Everyone is doing such a great job. Um, yeah, this looked like one of the movies, like, when I saw the trail, like, okay, I need to see this movie. Yeah, it, it just it looks like an exploration of a lot of things. It is. That's exactly what it is. It explores so many things. It is it, like it's an it made me feel like a million different emotions watching it. Um, yeah, it, it's gonna stick with you. So I, I I recommend it if you if you want an experience at the movies that we just don't get anymore. Um, yeah. So that that's my number three is is four things. Okay. Like, <laughs> okay, my number three is uh, Godzilla minus one. Nice. Um, I still want to see this movie. That was a runner up for me. My kid yeah. to block me on Godzilla, and I will never forgive him. I want to see this movie. Um, so this movie um uh, made me wonder how many great movies from Japan we are missing out on because people oh, in America won't read subtitles. Like, holy shit. Um. And this movie had like a crazy word of mouth kind of explosion after it finally came out over here. Um, but this movie is really like a perfect portrait of how war destroys like the individual as well as the collective. Um, it has a lot of self-reflective thoughts about how Japan handled uh, World War II in general um, and how it handled the aftermath of that. Um, I can't imagine America ever making a movie that takes this much responsibility for atrocities. <laughs> um, right, or would ever look at itself as it, responsible for those atrocities. Exactly, exactly. Wait, like, Oppenheimer came out this year. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But, that, yeah, was, but that, that was also, spoiler, one of my most disappointing movies of the year, but continue on. With yeah, it's, I don't know, this felt more repentant than Oppenheimer did, uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, this, oh man, it's, it sounds really bad to be like, it's so cool that it takes place in 1940s Japan, but like setting Godzilla solely in 1940s Japan post-war is really interesting. Like it's, it's the Godzilla period piece, you know, like um, it's, if, if, if Shin Godzilla from 2016 is like your science Godzilla movie, this is your history Godzilla movie. Um, nice. and, uh, I, I cannot believe this movie was made for $15 million because it, it did yeah, not look like it. It looks better than any Marvel movie of the past five years. Like it, wow. it, it, and not even just the Godzilla effects, but like the like period effects and the clothing and the, the set design is just absolutely fantastic. It's a beautiful movie to look at. Um, it really balances a well-rounded like human story with really cool monster stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, this is a good Godzilla movie. He fucks shit up, and it is legitimately <laughs> it is legitimately terrifying at moments. As long like, as he fucks shit up, that's what he does. He does. There were some moments where I could really like feel my anxiety because it was just like really tense. There's like this movie actually has like suspenseful moments with Godzilla, which I feel like 
you don't usually get suspense. He's not he's not a subtle guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's that there's that scene where he's he's chasing a tugboat he's, and it's just he, he has these prey unblinking the eyes. Yeah. And I thought that they like borrowed a lot from like this movie was borrowing, I think, from like Christopher Nolan. Uh, oh, you know, it's like it exists that because reveal, especially there's a lot of like Dunkirk <laughs> in it where it's like actually yeah. the citizen citizenry of, of Japan kind of has to come together themselves in order to solve a problem because the government mm-hmm. is ineffective. That scene of the suspense you're talking about uses that hanging note that uh, yeah. Hans Zimmer used in, in Dunkirk, you know, they do a lot of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in, uh, in, in amping up the suspense. Yeah, and even like the first scene where Godzilla appears was like legitimately scary and suspenseful. And um, I mean, they don't waste any time getting into the Godzilla action. And I like that this one shows a lot of his destruction from like the small human scale. Like uh, Marvel movies, we always see them like throwing each other through buildings, and the scale is very big. And we're not getting like boots on the ground kind of perspective. Right. This, but, yeah. yeah, we look more forward to, uh, at least I do, like more of a smaller scale story with regards to like a bigger scale attack. Yeah. But what, did, like, what did you feel? The Gareth Edwards, uh, when he did that American... Bring that up, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> no, no, that, that kind of tried to do that like from the perspective, the human perspective looking up. They were always big, the monsters. That, I find that movie extra embarrassing in retrospect compared to this movie because like that movie tried to have a human story with Aaron Taylor Johnson and his like dad and that just fell so flat and yet this movie like I was legitimately getting teary-eyed at moments in this movie it got so emotional and like just seeing a man struggle with PTSD and like it's it's tough oh my god it's it's some tough moments um but Colin that like first scene when you first see Godzilla like he only kills like what like 12 people like it's not very many like but it's but it's horrifying the way it's done you know we're used to him killing like hundreds or thousands of times going through city but this is like a smaller you know situation but there's some legit scary moments uh some really scary pov shots and it's but the human story is so good and it's there's like there's a part in the movie where this woman is caring for a child that was um orphaned by air raids and Everyone like is like, well, they always ask her like, why are you taking care of a kid that's not yours? And she's just like, because. And I like that kind of thought of like, this is our future. We have to protect it, even if I don't have a personal investment in it. Like, there's so much beautiful like symbolism like that to this movie on top of being an amazing monster movie. So if every country going forward could process their national trauma through a monster movie. I would love that, <laughs> and not and right, and not steal Godzilla to do it. Like no, we no, don't, we don't need 1998. No, give Godzilla us your again. folklore. Yeah, no, no, no. Take your folklore, process your national trauma through it, and put it in a movie for us to watch. You know, like yes. so. I guess for us, that would be like Paul Bunyan representing 9/11, <laughs> right? I'm gonna quote. I'm gonna quote you on that. I don't, I don't know how other people will take it. The Paul Bunyan movie that is an analogy for 9-11 is what I would like to see us do next. Um, <laughs> sure. Well, it was yeah. it was interesting to see, like, you know, a Japanese movie talking about, like, kamikaze pilots from the point of view of their, you know, not from the nationalistic kind of heroic point of view. It's like no, this, this guy. not pro-military. Because he's, right. he's yes. like, he's 
I mean, I guess in essence, then a coward for not carrying out his kamikaze mission. And, and that kind of colors his emotional uh, landscape or psychological landscape. It's like he failed at this thing. And then, you know, so then he sees this opportunity with this giant monster. It's here's an opportunity for my redemption. I can, you know, complete a mission, but only now he actually feels it. It's like it's protecting the people who, uh, you know, like the, of his community rather yes. than just on government orders, you know, I guess. Yeah. He's doing it for the right reasons this time. Yeah. And I, I liked the way male friendships were shown in this movie. There was a lot of good male camaraderie and friendships and, you know, going on one last ride together, shit like that. <laughs> so it, it, yeah, definitely check it out. Don't let the dub and subtitles stop you from a great movie. Yeah, Callie, it was, what's it was, your, it was, uh, well, it was easier to follow than uh, than Shin Godzilla, which I think yes. is more of a challenge because that's rapid fire. That's like the bureaucracy dealing with yes. uh, disaster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where this one is, I mean, in essence, I guess like a uh, yeah, it's processing the 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 war trauma, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, it was very good. Colin, what's your number two pick, twenty twenty three? Uh, my number two pick. Okay. So going with, um, best experiences of the year that I had, um, this is, I think the perfect marriage of, uh, filmmaker sensibility and subject matter. Uh, This is 10 years in the making. We've been waiting for the Thanksgiving horror movie and (laughs) Eli Roth has finally delivered Thanksgiving, right? Promised. He finally did what he said he was going to do. Yeah, many years ago with the the fake trailer that he did for Grindhouse, that double feature Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did, right? All will be carved. Yeah, because you you think I mean it's perfect, right? Like how many? It really is. Like they hit it when they hit it when they made it many years ago. It's fine. It's good that they finally made good on that. It's the one slasher movie set on a holiday that hadn't been done. I mean, unless you count, you know, our uh, Saturday Night Freak Show favorite Blood Rage, I mean, but that's not... Blood Rage will always be the top, no matter what. <laughs> um, okay. But Thanksgiving, right, is a slasher movie uh, not necessarily made the way that they used to make them. Um, it's set in Massachusetts. Um, or was it set in Plymouth? Uh, the, yes. The, the mm-hmm. killer adopts the uh, persona of the real life um, John Carver, perfectly named uh, a real life character, uh, and starts killing people because it's a slasher movie because of an inciting incident, which is kind of a recreation. I saw it before in Krampus, right? Krampus kind of did that. Uh, Black Friday stampede. Uh, it's done here like a Final Destination uh, scene. It sure is. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with fake uh, rubber broken arms and everything. Yes. Yeah, but that I think goes to like okay, so you know it's like Roth has obviously been a student of horror movies. Um, 
you know, he's made all these horror movies. He hosts his own show on it. Right. The history of horror (laughs) on AMC. He's always the guy that you go to whenever they want to talk to somebody about horror movies. They interview Eli Roth. So he's an encyclopedia of knowledge of the genre. And he's an expert on slasher movies. And it was when they said that, you know, he's finally making Thanksgiving. I'm sitting there going like, this guy's never actually made a slasher movie. And this seems like this is the subject that he knows the most about. And so the important thing about that is, and I think probably because he had 10 years to workshop it, like he has figured out all the elements you need to have in a classic slasher movie, but he's able to make his characters compelling. He's thought them out and he's thought out all of the, um, like the slasher set pieces, which is why you go to a slasher movie. So he doesn't skimp on the shock gore maimings and all that stuff. No, he does not. Right. Which they're, you know, I, I just I keep on thinking, you know, when you when you say something like that, you sound like a bloodthirsty maniac. But there's something about, you know, when you, especially when you see it in an audience, there's this like laughter that escapes uh, when somebody's graphically uh, killed in a, in, a, in a good slasher movie, because it's, okay. you know, you're appreciating the shock, the over the topness of the set piece, the artistry of how it's done the 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 comedic sensibility in there because like you know you know yes and uh, not to 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 add to that and to agree with you colin i took my son to see this movie (laughs) i forgot okay now for a lot of things i forgot that it was eli roth making this movie which was my first mistake in taking how it's and, been his brainchild since no, oh, it was a trailer. It's always been Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. Well, uh, no, but, <laughs> uh, but also I have, because Eli Roth, his filmmaking career, uh, for a, a while, like, I have um, maybe kind of ignored. I'm looking at Green Inferno uh, uh, as a big example. I forgot how extreme he will get. And, and so when I brought my son, I forgot how far Eli Roth will go as far as uh, the joke, the gore, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I forgot all of that when I brought him to it. So when you talk about how it's unexpected for these things, like I forgot that he would go that far with these things. Um, but that's what that that is what he brings to it. Yeah, that because yeah. I mean, my comparison was the same year we had Scream Six, right? And which is wild. Yeah. So, so Thanksgiving, it doesn't feel like, I guess the trailer felt like, you know, it was a movie from the early eighties. Right. So, uh, you know, there was the thought of, okay, if he's making this movie, is he going to make like, I found an 80s slasher movie, but he doesn't, he makes a contemporary movie. I think he's justified as saying, this is the contemporary remake of the forgotten lost eighties slasher movie. So we have to change up some of the stuff that you saw in there because you're expecting it. But so then you're like, okay, well now your closest analog is scream and scream to me was, uh, you know, these last couple have worn out their welcome in this whole meta, you know, uh, self-aware, um, thing that they have going on where so like, now we want them unaware. Yeah. Cause in Thanksgiving, 
it's like the, the people don't know that they're in a horror movie, yeah, right? Exactly. It is a, but it's, it's, it has all the things of a holiday movie and the, you know, it's, it obviously has like a budget to kind of be like the, uh, hocus pocus of Thanksgiving, right? So you, you, you know, it's definitely going to be like well, on the holiday single, rotation for, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I guess the thing that surprised me was there was a lot of characters, you know, and the writing on each one of them was specific enough to make them not just feel like cookie cutter. Here's the jock. Here's the, you know, the preppy girl. Here's the, you know, the high school slut. Here's the whatever. They felt more. Uh, I don't I know they were older character or older actors playing like younger uh, than they are. I think, but as, as they always, as are. they always are, but like they had, uh, I think a life and a humor to them that made them. And I think that's what Eli Roth has. It's like, he has this kind of like, uh, wit to him. I mean, whether it's, you know, like college frat boy humor or, you know, however you want to describe yes. it sometimes, but it gives the characters, um, like this kind of, uh, uh, I guess like a, a sense of humor or something that, so they're not just kind of these stock, they, they have personalities. And so then you're actually like, kind of like, Oh, so-and-so going to die. And there is like the mystery of who it's, who it is. And, you know, it's not like terribly hard to figure out, but, uh, <laughs> unfortunately it's not terribly hard to figure out. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just as far, I guess the reason it places so high on my list is I sat there and I'm like, I am. I, I do ask that question, Colin, because we're, I remember after you saw this, you texted us. You're like, A plus, love it. It's a slasher that is not encumbered by the sort of the newer influences of, like you said, Scream and everything. It's just like pure throwback slasher movie. It is what it is. And yeah. That's why you loved it. But it's still feels like a contemporary movie. So it's like okay. you still can take these classic elements and just do it straight ahead. You don't have to elevate the subject matter. You know, you could just make a slasher movie. That's a, and I think the thing that he remembers the way that Eli Roth thinks of slasher movies is I think the way that I think of slasher movies is like, when you remember them, you remember them being uh, a kind of an interactive audience pleasing uh, fun time at the movies, right? Sure. You don't remember it being like a very super scary, you know, or so um, relentlessly grim that you know you never want to see the thing. You know, like, oh, that was horrifying but, or whatever. It's like also you, the experience we have on this show when we're watching slasher movies from like the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so this one nailed it. I think this is the best slasher movie since the My Bloody Valentine three D. Um, and I love slasher movies. So this was catnip. I was like extremely pleased. I'm like, this is, uh, I think, I, you know, I don't know. I was going to say, is it, is it the best movie of Eli Roth's career? Without um, a doubt. Yeah. Oh, so you're just jumping uh, right no, in. No, no, no. I'll, I'll go back to Cabin Fever. No, no, no question for me. Oh, so it's interesting yeah, that, I like that, it better. that you would go to Cabin Fever, Sean. Like hostile is a, a concept and an idea. I think that, that, you know, holds more, you know, it like, maybe, it, I'll, maybe I'll say they're even because the hot and you're right. Now they bring in hostile. Like that's no, that hit up that hit a, that hit a level that you're just like, Oh, okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. You're, hostile you know, two right, is right actually right. the better movie, but I think hostile one, uh, is more hostile one got there first. Yeah. 
but so he's been kind of growing as a filmmaker throughout his career. Um, and, uh, you know, now he makes stuff that, you know, you're just like, what is the house with a clock in its walls is an Eli <laughs> Roth movie. My kid loved it. Death Wish was a was a, a an Eli Roth movie. Now he's got the uh, he's got yeah. uh, Borderlands. I think has been shot, and I don't know where oh, it is. Oh, it's been really? shot like a year. Oh, uh, wow. He did that. That's an adaptation of the video game. But uh, yeah. but I think the way that and I always use this analogy that Michael Bay gave us like Armageddon and The Rock and Bad Boys, but like the real Damn. like his style meshes with transformers like transformers is the michael bay movie right mm-hmm. yeah, the way that absolutely. thanksgiving is the eli roth <laughs> movie yeah. uh i thought so yeah i would recommend it uh that you check it out uh, horror fans you're going to be putting it on your yearly rotation thanksgiving number two sean what's your number two Colin, can i um I, I feel like it's only right that we just continue because my number two is also Thanksgiving. Oh, my number two is also Thanksgiving. I feel, like we should just, I feel like we should just get it out of the way. All right, yeah, let's get it all out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, talk about it. Talk about it. No, okay. mine, is, yeah. mine is definitely not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I agree with you. Thanksgiving is also my number two, and it is based on the viewing experience that I had in the theater. That movie was so much fun. We, we laughed so hard throughout that entire movie and there was audible reactions to i would say 75 percent of that movie had audible reactions just laughing or gasping or just yelling like it, it was a great experience it was it was everything that you want in a slasher movie experience in the theater and i was remarkably impressed because i i was not looking forward to that movie i was like eli roth what's he been doing that interests me i don't give a shit yeah exactly and I, yeah michaela you and i would talk about it. we're like eh, i don't give a shit about that and then we only went because colin talked yeah. us into it yeah. yeah colin was like no really go do it and we did and we were pleasantly surprised and it was such a fun experience you know uh, there was so many, there's so many things that, like, you can pick it apart. You know, I didn't like the main girl. I didn't like a lot of the acting. Obviously, there was so Yes, much, yes, yes. There was some big giveaways. Like, we knew it was coming. But, like, I don't care. It was such a fun movie. It was, it, it was ridiculous. And it was hilarious. And it's over the top. And it's, you know, like you were saying, you know, it's, it's the opposite of their they're going meta with everything now and it's the opposite of that. And that's exactly what I want for my slash movie experience. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, Colin, I think you, I think you said it all really well. So I will continue the the discussion on it because man, I had yeah. fun with that movie. I had a lot of fun with that movie and Michaela, I'm, I just have a little bit more to add, but nothing. Yeah. yeah I think you guys really nailed it, but yeah, I, I, Colin, I was not going to go see this in theaters because I'm still so upset about the Green Inferno when I saw that in theaters. <laughs> and I fucking hated that movie that I'm still mad about it that I was not going to go see this until you talked me into it. But I, um, yeah, I love that it's a pure, pure slasher. Just, And I agree, Colin. Those are like, I don't even care if it's the exact same story as the My Bloody Valentine remake. That story fucking works. So keep yeah. making it. I don't care. Keep making slashers. I don't care that it's the exact same storyline. I just yeah. want to see it done well. You know? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just have some fun Thanksgiving pills. And that's what they did. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, it it was so, it's so simple that like it's, it shouldn't work, but it does, you know? Like, yeah. and uh, best use of a cat in a slasher 
ever. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, let's not forget that was that was ton- that was Tonic the Cat from Pet Cemetery. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> He's a genre icon now, guys. Like what I I loved because when I saw it, I was like, oh, not only is there a cat, but it's like a famous cat. So like he's in this for a reason, right? And I was like, oh no, something bad for sure is going to happen to this cat, right? Yeah. No, no, nothing bad happens to the cat. It's great. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. He gets fed by the killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's wonderful. Um, My only problem with this movie is me. I am the problem. I was was too worried about uh, because, like I said, I took my kid to it. I was too worried about that whole aspect of it to proper. I, I think properly enjoy it for what it was, which is why I feel like. Like I, it was good enough that I want and need to watch it again to fully, I think, fully enjoy it and look at the aspects of it as to what you guys have described tonight. And mm-hmm. so, uh, like, I'm, I'm I want to watch it again, but that is the I think the reason why you guys place it higher than I do. I was worried about a lot more going into it than you guys. You were, were seeing it through your son's eyes and like, oh, yeah, as a parent. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You were, about, you were worried about a woman being roasted by a turkey or like a turkey. Yeah. No, I was yeah. about the trampoline scene. The roasted Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The trampoline yeah. scene. You know, I got to tell you, I was shocked that he, I was shocked that Eli Roth pulled back on that compared to the trailer. I yeah, it's lesser than the trailer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's way, it, and that's that's what I haven't gone into is kind of like the look of the trailer versus what he pulled off in the movie and everything, which is something I look forward to like getting into. I just didn't get the opportunity right off the bat, so it is. It is I agree with you guys. It's just something I want to look more into, you know, uh, <laughs> and haven't had the opportunity to since you know before the end of the year, so. Yeah. I also I really I really like how Eli Roth um, creates characters that like you just really want to see put through it because they suck so much like mm-hmm. you yeah. know like they're not but not in a cartoonish way but in a way that is believable like I felt like some of these fucking high school kids this movie I was like I went to school with this asshole like you know like they felt very and everyone having Massachusetts accents makes it that much more funny so you know <laughs> that was <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, Sean. Now that we got all of our number twos out of the way, what's yeah. your number two? My number two is Barbie. Barbie. Nice. And Barbie <laughs> is an um, and because we came into like this whole year. All right, this year, twenty twenty three, was the Barbenheimer. It was the dynamic between Barbie and Oppenheimer, and uh, we came out in maybe. Uh, a way that for me I didn't think I would in that I really liked Barbie and I thought Oppenheimer was a disappointment. Really? So, uh, yes. Because uh, Oppenheimer uh, well, alright, forget Oppenheimer. We'll talk about Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Barbie, Barbie did a lot of things that I thought were Barbie did things that I thought were really fun, really analytical, really funny, really just uh, I, I think if you're going to make a movie called Barbie, like, it's crazy. There's so much opportunity for what you can do with a movie that is just Barbie. You can go so many ways with it. And I think the way they went with it, because I'm coming off a time where I have uh, Greta Gerwig is coming off of Little Women, a movie which I love. 
which is, mm-hmm. I think, a really good movie. Yeah. Um, it, it really was. It was it was well-written, well-directed, really liked that movie. And, you know, when you're getting into Little Women, which I think is... Uh, I, I think it's a safe, it's a safe choice of a movie to make, but it's also a movie where you can make and be really great at it, and, and, and to to be safe with it, but really do great things with those expectations. And we're coming off Noah Baumbach with um, um, uh, Marriage Story, which mm-hmm. is also another movie that I thought was really great. Uh, these things influence me because I mean, Marriage Story influenced me because I, you know. It came out at a time where, as a man coming off divorce, like to watch a movie where, uh, you know, a relationship and a couple of splits and how that affects them plus a kid, like it really felt personal to me. But then we get into Barbie, which is just rife for uh, a, a character as Barbie, who has been a representation of in the early years of what quote unquote a perfect female should be. And that's not my thinking but what you know what it was kind of built as and you know the history of barbie coming into this movie and what you can do with that and the way the movie was made it is a it's a thought on commercialism it's a thought on a surrealism i mean if you get will ferrell involved as the executive who's lording over barbie like that adds to a comedy element of it um, uh, there's so much in this movie that is so, I think, enjoyable. Because you get to comment, if you're making a movie called Barbie, you get to comment on so much and, and kind of make your perspective known that is so, it can be so entertaining and so funny because they do so much with this. I I think you have to look at the whole history because uh, Margot Robbie was, is the producer of this movie and championed this movie for I think a few years before it actually got made, um, and I think if you look back at the history, didn't think she, yeah, she herself wasn't the um, the person to play Barbie. I think she had a few other people in mind before her to do it. But if you look at the the history of that um, and what it came to be, it, it's such a I think it's such a good story for. I think for everybody, and you know, you can look at this, it is definitely a feminist story, I think, obviously, but I think that for everyone to look at it, you, you benefit from it, but just, there's, a whole, there's so much good stuff in this, it's so funny, it's very well written, because it's written by uh, Greta Gerwig, who directed the movie as well, and Noel Baumbach, her uh, husband, who also co-wrote it, um, but their perspectives on this leads to so many fun opportunities uh, story-wise, and that's not even talking about the actors who were cast in it. We got Margot Robbie as Barbie. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Is Ken? Um, Ryan Gosling. Gosling is Ken. Like uh, just spectacular. Spectacular. Him is Ken. The the the. It, it's a musical as well. The he gets he gets a whole song about being Ken and you know being uh, Knuff or uh, Ken Knuff. Mm-hmm. Like it just there. There's so much cultural swirl around this movie that I think I think you can get a lot out of it no matter who you are, what perspective you're coming from. I think there's so much that you can read into it, so much that's built into it, so much 
comedy that's built to it. And I think that's the thing that gets us across the finish line is that it is very funny. Uh, Michael Sarah is in this movie. He plays a character called Alan. I think mm-hmm. his character is also extremely funny in, in his journey through this movie. Ken is also. You realize the ridiculous ridiculousness of Ken as a character and and what he feels <laughs> for the patriarchy, what he thinks it is, and when he realizes it doesn't involve horses, he's really out. <laughs> but, but, there's so many uh, so many funny aspects of this movie about what the characters want, uh, what they want, what they end up getting, and what they realize is what's best for them. It, it it's it's a very complex movie, and it's a very funny movie, and it's got something to say. But it, but it's also a movie that can say a lot, but also be ridiculous in a way that is. Um, uh, uh, dismissive as you know, as just comedy. Um, it, it, it's a complex movie that I think does a lot, and I love that it does a lot, and it'll affect you on many different levels. Um, I love the filmmakers that came into it. I love what they did. I love what they wrote. I love what they accomplished, um, and I love what the actors did for it. Um, I because it's very funny and very enjoyable. Uh, it, and the ending joke of the movie it really it just like no, it, no, it really is I thought it was really really was from where you go from this character to where they end up in that final joke I think it's just perfect because that is like if you uh, uh, not to say that I'm uh, understanding anything better than anybody else but if you get where they're coming from in that ending moment it feels perfect in the arc of it for that character, and I love that, that they do that and that they were able to accomplish that and get to it, and it really is just, it's a its a great journey for that character. I loved watching them do it. I love the side characters doing it. I love that Barbie got where she needed to be. I love that Ken uh, figured something out in his life and all the other Kens, um, and, you know, musical sequences, as long as they're, you know, accomplish something, it really hit home. Like it, it's just a really good movie. I think that it just uh, I had fun with it. You can have fun, like the messaging. I've seen, I've seen a lot of the messaging in this movie before, and once you've seen that a lot, you kind of just like, okay, I know, I get it, I know where that's going, and that, yeah, that can be like maybe it can be repetitive, and that may be the uh, the most I can say about. Um, uh, as a negative for this movie, but it's just really enjoyable, really fun, really well-written, directed, and I liked really what they did with this movie. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like Barbie. It's good. Like, it's just good. I liked it. So Barbie, number two for me. I like Barbie. They did good. In the the spirit of, of the the theme here of me jumping in and saying, well, I picked it too. I'm going to say my number one is Barbie. So I'm going to go now. My number one is also Barbie. Yes, let's just talk about it. Just really good. Yeah, I I loved Barbie so much. I think we were, I think as a collective uh, society, we were excited about Barbie for so many reasons. One of them being like, she is the most iconic figure in 
in boy history for sure. Um, yeah, she was a, she was a picture that we all grew up with. You know, I, I, it was my favorite toy growing up. I played with Barbies constantly. So just the iconicness that is Barbie was already exciting. And then to put Greta Gerwig behind it and make it into what it was is just astonishingly good. It was such a beautiful movie, like literally beautiful because everything is gorgeous and pink and perfect. Just, just, they even made I love it. Of just like they showing like the yeah, style, like the, like the new the new fashion styles of Barbie. There was literally yeah, there was literally like a shortage of pink paint because of this movie, and it's just <laughs> wonderful. Like right. yeah, and the 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 like the the scenes, like you said, you know, showing like the fashion, like the different the different fashions throughout time and stuff and yeah it, it was just so wonderful to see like our childhoods flashed up on the screen like from people like my mom's age like they they played with barbies and then like through girls today it's just it's a toy that's transcends right. all generations like, like i play yeah. with barbies like yes. at a certain point you're, yeah. in, a, you're in a toy room like, yes like i was in my babysitters you're in a toy room what do you have to play with everything is in the toy room and what's in that toy room Barbies and yeah. you play with them, and that is part of what your upbringing is. Yeah, I had a, I have an older brother, so we played GI Joe's and Barbie. Like it was just went hand and Hot Wheels. It went hand in hand. We just did it all. Yep. But but it just the, the iconography is so great, and what I love the most is that the movie has a very difficult subject matter to tackle, and they needed that icon to get the message across. Yes. Right. Like it is. It is a feminist movie, but it's uh, it's not just a feminist movie. It is about an equality movie. It is about so much. It's about how toxic the patriarchy can be. It's about, you know, toxic masculinity. It, it, you know, if the patriarchy is about horses and not about horses. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's such a difficult subject matter. And the only way to tackle it was the way that Greta Gerwig did with this icon that we all know and love with humor, with music, with all of these different facets that made the message really hit home for everybody. And it was such a moving movie. I cried several times watching this movie. And I saw it in the theater like three times. But I <laughs> cried several times. The the moment when America Ferrera gives the speech about how hard it is to be a woman, yep. I bawled my eyes out. Michaela was with me. I bawled my eyes out. I was so it touched me so much because that is exactly what we all feel. And to have them say that on a big screen for the biggest movie of the year, so the entire right. world can see it. Gets to see it yeah, every it. single person gets to hear what we all struggle with. Like it just moved me so much. And the fact that like the message throughout was that we are Barbie. We are all Barbie. Right. You know, like, they, they, even we're we're different they, ones. Right, yeah. Everyone like, hi Barbie, hi Barbie, hi Barbie. We all are yeah. Barbie because we're not because we're different Barbies, but we're the same Barbie. And like yeah. that, like as far as a perspective of women and humans, like just in general, we have these different personalities in ourselves. We have these different versions of us, but we're still the same person. We're still the same like unit in humanity. Like we're all individuals, but we're all we all have these shared experiences and these shared thoughts and. To have that portrayed the way Greta Gerwig did was just so beautiful and so touching, and it it was just perfect. Like that movie, it made me laugh, it made me cry, 
it was just everything I wanted it to be and more. It was just amazing. And I could just keep saying that over and over again. Uh, Michaela, go ahead and jump in with your thoughts and we can keep this conversation going. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't even try to add to what you guys said because you, you really hit on it. And I feel like the better a movie is, the less I usually have to say about it, right? I feel yeah. like by the time I get to my number one, I'm just like, it's good. Just, you know, right. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's undeniably right. good. I can't express that more watching right but like when we loop back around to our worst of that's what i'll have the most to say you know like uh, <laughs> exactly. but, you know um but i mean yeah i i i gotta say i it, it's a movie that actively made me feel good about being a woman and i don't know that i've ever had another movie make me feel that way ever yeah um uh that being said like i i just yeah it's uh i it's not only about feminism and the struggles of being a woman but it's also about uh, existential dread yes. and anxiety and depression and the the depression stuff really worked for me and I loved mm-hmm. that aspect of it too um I also like that it like head-on kind of confronts literally in like an argument like all the problems with Barbie as well like yes um it, it confronts the commercialism it, yeah what she, what she uh, you know what she may represent that is not her intention like right because I was, I was going to be really uncomfortable with this movie if they pretended like there was never ever a problem with Barbie's mm-hmm. existence. Yeah. It, yeah. Then it would have just been like a propaganda commercial for Mattel, right? Like they yeah. could not do that, you know. Um, but they they did it, and like they did it in a very literal way. But you know, mm-hmm. whatever got the point across. Dumb people see movies too, you know. Sometimes things <laughs> can be, you know straightforward but um yeah i loved it everyone was committed to the bit the production design is gorgeous is movie it's i my only concern the only thing i negative i could say is i just worry the wrong message will be taken away from this mm-hmm. and instead of getting more movies for about and by women we will get more toy movies yeah yeah <laughs> um oh, yeah. Uh, and that is not that's not the the mess that's not what studios should be taking away the answer is not to make a magic eight ball movie and a fucking uh <laughs> i don't know fucking mousetrap movie american girl no, 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 american no, girl directed no, no. by a woman not a Magic Airball movie that we don't write. Yeah, we, we wrote one. We wrote a fucking great Magic Airball movie in our so, group chat. If you uh, want that, come to us because we have right, that. So, yeah. Because then, then, then what you could at least say it was written by a couple of women, right? So, like, it's got that. Okay, so there you exactly. go. Um, but, yeah, uh, I Barbie was my number one, and it, it, it had a lot of hype to live up to. Like, the it hype really, train could not yes. have been more intense for this really movie. Did. And Oppenheimer. They, the yep. Barbenheimer, that was mm-hmm. half of our year. It was, like, six months of us talking about, hey, it's it crazy, these two <laughs> yeah, movies are coming out the same day. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what a time to be alive. But, yeah, that was my number one. So, Colin, what is your number one? Yep. All right, so it's gonna be Colin and then me, and then I think the conversation is gonna end. Well, then we go on to our worst of worst of. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. So, best movie of the year, and again, we're talking about the stuff that we've seen. I didn't see Barbie, uh, so I I can't share in that one. Colin, huh? Watch Barbie. (laughs) I gotta watch Barbie. Well, there's so many things I guess that I haven't seen. So you know, I'm probably excluding a great many movies here, but. For me, the far and away best thing that I saw this movie, it was the most movie movie that I saw this year. I got, I don't know, there was uh, there was drama, there was comedy, there were thrills, action, Indiana, adventure. Indiana Jones movie. It was, I was, I was overwhelmed by this movie. 
and it was Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was unprepared for this. I don't know. I saw Into the Spider-Verse, yeah, I and it. I liked it quite a bit. But Across the Spider-Verse was the most creative, I mean, just, I mean, a kaleidoscope. of Because I guess it's the idea that Miles Morales, right, is trying to... There's that coming of age thing with the romance with Spider Gwen. He's got his parents in high school to deal with. They introduce this character called the Spot, which is the I love the, the Spot. The Spot is like the most horrifying. Like I was like, oh my god, the implications of this thing was like because it starts off as like, okay, you can throw little portals all over the place. No, no it's earth shaking. <laughs> but by the end of it, you're like, oh my god, like I cannot see how you would even deal with this. This yes. is the thing that like blinks reality out of existence. Yes. You know, but that's not even that's like the B plot. Uh, because he has uh, to do an emotional family story point that is going to the first film, this film, and the probably the next film. Yeah. Well, I was I was also unprepared for the fact that this was part of a uh, you know I thought it was going to end. Um, I did too, Kyle. And the the fact that it the the fact that it didn't kind of I was like disappointed and shocked yes. actually. Yes. I don't know, like when it came up yes. with to be continued, I'm like what? And I kind of felt Not a right. little bit ripped off. Um, but the whole idea is kind of, and I know I railed against, uh, meta textual, uh, uh, information in, in, in horror movies, right? I think it's been played out. Scream planted the flag and, and did it. But this is like this meta version of Spider-Man where we're able to see like, you know, there's this rift in the, the you're tired of hearing about metaverses, but it allows you to kind of, it actually makes a comment on itself and about like Miles Morales himself and where he fits in with like all these other Peter Parkers. And yep. that's actually kind of one of the things I like about it. Cause I'm generally not like a fan of Hollywood, just kind of casting a black or Hispanic actor or a woman in, in a traditional role that was like, you know, a little mermaid or something. Right. Um, but Miles Morales is his own character. This is a guy who has a backstory, a history a, a family and cultural dynamic in New York where he lives. He's different yep. than Peter Parker. They make a, you know, like the whole movie basically becomes about that subject itself. It's like, he's very compelling and you're, you know, he, and they make it about that. And then they're like, what if this wasn't supposed to happen? Yeah. And I think that's also the thing that you kind of get from, you know, I, I suppose maybe Spider-Man whether it's Peter Parker or Miles Morales always has that he's like the underdog kind of, of the greatest superhero we've got. Yeah. Because you, you root for the guy to pull through because it seems like in a lot of times he's not entirely equipped for the job. I think because <laughs> of always like he, of yeah. his youth, you know, so Miles Morales shares that with uh, Peter Parker, but I, there was just like the, the, the family dynamic, I'm sitting there going like, this is better written than yes. most of the live action dramas that yes. I see. And then there's this whole thing about like, uh, um, I guess there are other spider men and women from right, the, the alternate dimensions yeah. that are like policing this kind of thing. And uh, they're led by Oscar Isaac, right? And yeah. Daniel Kaluuya has like this great—he's spider punk. He like steals every scene that he's in. Uh, 
I, it, there's just like there's so much going on. I guess yeah. I was it kind of it did. It, it, I was overwhelmed by it, both in the complexity of its story and the depth of its characters, the uh, creativity on display with its um, you know wide array of art art styles. You know because it yes. changes. It actually it changes, like yeah a lot throughout the different stories we get into, and it's beautiful for each one. And it works. Uh, the live action Spider Man into its canon, <laughs> yeah. Which was just kind of like you know I don't know. I mean I guess you know we saw um, No Way Home was it No Way Home? No Way Home, yeah. And, which kind of did that. You know, that was exciting. That was like you know one of the last exciting superhero movies I think yeah. that I ever saw. And this kind of kept on going with that theme and incorporated them into into the spider verse i don't know I, I was uh i was i was floored i just i i can't speak the the virtues of this movie enough that you have to see it i mean just for its um you know creative storytelling and the weight of its drama um it was just uh yeah it, it was it was a ride i mean i got i got a movie out of oh, spider-man yes. across the <laughs> spider verse and I think, and I yeah, can't, I can't, yeah, I can't wait for that next. I was very, um, like, like you said, I was just like, what is any, what, where the story's not done. We've got so much more to go. Like there is, I, I feel there is, I feel like there's so much more that they're going to get to in the conclusion of this coming up this year, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, I think, you know, maybe that was the problem that I have with the, the first one was like, well, it's a cartoon, you know, and somehow in my mind going into it, it's like, well, this is like a side project or the lesser of the, you know, your the live action Tom Holland movies are your, you know, they tie into the Avengers and they're like a flagship right. kind of thing. But this is in many ways superior to any of the other Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man movies that I've seen. And that's a high bar, you know, it's set by like Spider-Man two or, you know, or no way home. You know, it's just the, uh, it yep. was, it was impressed. I was impressed by this movie quite a bit. So that would be yep. nine, my number one. I guess that ends us with Sean's number one. Here comes Oppenheimer, the best no. movie of the year. We've been told. Didn't make anybody's list, though. I know, I, I make, no. So should we talk about the fact that Oppenheimer didn't yeah, make sure. any of our lists? You know what? It, it was very close to being on my list. It was, like, even, like, number two slot. I was very tempted to, to talk about I it. I did have it as a runner-up. I, yeah. I, I think that is the movie. I think it is the close call runner-up for a lot of people. Because it wasn't, <laughs> it didn't hit me I, I i don't think i don't think the emotion was there in in ways it was for prior uh um movies from him and that and that's why it, it didn't quite hit for me i was a little disappointed in it. I, I i really i liked where it went and everything but i think it's missing some certain emotions that would have like really nailed it for me but that's that's my yeah, I, still, I still got the emotional aspect I still got the emotional aspect. I I really I did really enjoy it a lot actually. Um, this and it's really like, good it, stuff. It did impact me a lot. And honestly, like even though it was crazy long, I I still I thought it went by pretty quick. Like I it yeah. had my attention the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, I, yeah. It's one of those movies that you respect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
maybe more than you're like, uh, you know, I got to see that movie again. It was so great. And some of you may love it, but it's, it, to me, it, it's closest analog was Oliver Stone's JFK, where it feels like this yeah. subject is so massive. What he's trying, yeah. Christopher Nolan's trying to cover that just building the movie from a movie making standpoint seems like he had to, it was like building a skyscraper, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, like holy like almost, cow, I put that thing together. Like this should be a Ken Burns documentary. Yeah. With multiple parts at a certain point. Seriously. Yeah. And the, the fact that you can follow yeah. it, you know, I mean, is a testament to his skill at, at I think it. the movie itself is basically the Manhattan Project number two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I did like Oppenheimer. For the record, it was very close to being on that list. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, what are we at? Me for number one? Uh, yes. It's going to be disappointing. My number one was Talk to Me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh wow. I really thought this was uh, 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 head and shoulders above a lot of horror movies we got this year, a lot of movies we got this year. I was really into it. I, I, I really like the intensity of it, the story of it. Um, I really like how I think it tapped into the younger generation in a way that sort of felt natural. Again, we talked about the story with like, this would be the new TikTok trend that you may not believe if you saw it on TikTok, because I think there's a lot of things that you see on social media. You're just like, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't believe that. Uh, like, you know, you can do anything on social media. Um, this is just another thing. And this would be one of those things, one of those trends that pops up and you're just like, Oh, it's very interesting. Uh, I like that if someone was setting this up to be something that is fake, I like what they do with it and, you know, how it goes. But the fact that it, it is portrayed as something uh, in reality that is happening, um, and the story is, um, it, it's scary to me that you can, it's scary and exciting that you can get into this sort of thing like that it is a party trick or, or a perla game or even a, a drug that you can get addicted to as some of these characters do. And the fact that, that the quote-unquote older characters who are like two years older than some of the other ca- younger characters in this movie that they get into and that they experience and they get out of. And then you get that that younger character that tags along that gets into it and then you it leads into some other stuff that is dark and disturbing in some of the violence that you get into uh, that happens to these characters and where does it go from there and kind of the, um, kind of the darkness you get into and what you need to explore as far as a character. And like we talked about earlier, how, um, the whole dynamic of, um, a, a family consisting of a dad and mom who have lost their, their mother, and what they have to deal with and what they don't deal with is in regards to each other and what they turn to when they can't get that from each other, what they will turn to, 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 to find some solace and what these characters do turn to. And when they run into what they think is something that will satiate the pain that they are feeling and this is me trying to talk about this movie without giving away spoilers. But <laughs> and when what they find, and and what they will continue to pursue, in order to not feel the pain of loss, and 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 in pursuing that, the trouble they get into, and the trouble they get people they love into, and to try and save them, and where they end up, there it's a complexity of dealing with loss. And 
and what you do with that and what you'll try and do to save others from feeling that or what you'll do to save others from uh, being in pain or also losing them. Um, I think it's a very complex story. I think it's a very scary story. I, I, I like the ending maybe something uh, that you may have seen before or be familiar with, but I really like how the story progressed and what they ended with and the, the ending of the story and where the main character ends up. I was just like, that's where the main character needed to end. And when they got there and it was revealed, I was just like, uh, I love it. I, I love where they went. Um, there's a lot of this story to like and to be horrified by. And even like they don't go too far into it. They give you glimpses of, they give you glimpses of how far, characters who have been possessed get taken to and what they're surrounded by and what they're being uh, plagued by when you can't see them. There's a lot of, there's a lot to the story and it really made me think and it really made me enjoy um, being with these characters and horrified with being with these characters and what they were going through. I think Talk to Me is really one of the, uh, it's the the best horror movie of this year. It's, it's one of the best horror movies I've seen in a, in a few years. Um, I really liked it. I would uh, if the filmmakers because the sequel has been announced. If the filmmakers can figure out a really good way to go with this story, I'm all for it. I'm in for it. Um, talk to me. One of the greatest, one of the best movies of this year. I really liked it. Um, can't wait to watch it again. Um, I haven't I haven't watched it with the, uh, the commentaries from. The filmmakers and everything. I, I I look forward to a deep dive into this, but I think it's an experience you can get watching this movie that is really will really grab you and shake you and hold you. And uh, I, I think it's really good. So talk to me, my number one for twenty twenty three. How? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, it's really good. I really liked it. It was it really got me. I like yeah. that, that and that that ending. I think is a very. That ending maybe feels like really are you afraid of the dark ending, but I think it was <laughs> what the movie It does. It does, but I think it was it works. for the movie. It's a movie that follows its convictions. You know, yeah, I, yeah, from definitely. a narrative perspective. I think yes, that was it really goes with it and it's like yeah. this is what we're doing and it does it, but it does it well. And mm-hmm. I really liked it. So yeah, talk to me is my number one for the year. Well, that, was, that was another. That was another one that it was. It was definitely on my list, but I knew other people would talk about it. Yes. So I'm like, I'm going to put something else on there. But well, it was up there for me. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's. Right, cool. uh, I mean, looking because I was writing them down as you were saying it, but it's uh, talk to me. Thanksgiving and Barbie got the most. Uh, you know that that was <laughs> those are the three that were on uh, the most list. So oh, that's bad. the holy trifecta of twenty twenty three. Yeah, forget Barbenheimer. This is the real setup here. Son of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, Barben horror. <laughs> well, now we come to the. Most anticipated part of tonight's uh, yeah. show, which is when we get to unleash our hatred. Oh, yeah, we, did, we did everything, didn't we? Yeah, we got your number. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, you're right. All yep. right so. so now we unleash oh. our hatred on just just one movie a piece, oh, not not five. Yeah. We're just going to unleash hatred oh, yeah. on one well, one movie. The that's worst. the hardest part is there's so really many is. that deserve it. There's so many that deserve it. But Colin, what is the one movie that you would like to unleash your hatred on? Well, I'm going to I'm going to cheat. I'm going to work my way up because I saw oh, a bunch of bad oh. movies this year that I would warn you away from. So you're doing the thing we just said yep. that you shouldn't do. Okay. I would warn you away from <laughs> the last voyage of the Demeter. Ah, 
I would warn you away from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. But that was not even as bad as one of the worst movies of the year, which was Cocaine Bear. But <laughs> but, but the... This is on my list of not good movies for the year. No, these are the these are bad movies. But bad movie. bad, but bad there's movie. one there's one that movie. takes the cake as the absolute worst movie of the year. And I think the reason was because yeah, you can say Cocaine Bear is a terrible, terrible fucking movie, but there's one movie that I hated uh because I was offended by the movie. And that is, of course, David Gordon Green's The Exorcist Believer. The worst, oh, I can't wait for this. the worst movie of the year. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you a question. First of all, am I the only one who fell on this sword? Yeah. Yeah, because we all knew what we were going to get into, Colin. <laughs> and uh, we knew somebody, and when, when I say somebody, we knew you. We knew you. We were to explore this territory, and so we waited for your feedback from it well i like the way that you're saying like yeah we knew it was going to be bad but the reason that you knew it was going to be bad was because it was from david gordon green because he had notoriously made three of the worst halloween i mean (laughs) uh, you know we we covered uh, all three of them all three all three of them them. not uh and the trailer i'll disagree not three of the worst well, we covered all three of the, of the Halloween movies, so you can go back and listen to full episodes on those. But we did. Um, the reason that you were expecting Exorcist Believer to be so bad is because basically David Gordon Green and Danny McBride is co-screenwriter, uh, the, the, and he co-wrote at least the story for this one. Did he? Yeah, he's credited uh, in there somewhere. He he helped. The, the reason is, is because these two guys... Gordon Green specifically, who apparently was a, I haven't seen any of his dramas. I've only seen his comedies. And then you go like, well, this is the guy who may, who showed up to direct these Halloween movies. The wrong sensibility. He is just trying to shit all over uh, horrors, uh, you know, sacred cows, right? Because you go like, you go, what is, what are, what is the thinking here? It's like, we have to do something new, you know, but we have to give the audience something that they want or at least get them in the door and then we're going to expose them to new ideas within this uh, established franchise there are four exorcist movies five i think if you count the paul schrader original version of the rennie harlan number four right you can get both of those (laughs) Right, right um so, but each one of those is like, okay, well, some of those are bad. Some of those are galactically bad. The Exorcist 2 is galactically bad. Um, but it always feels like it's a disappointment or they missed the mark. You know, they were aiming somewhere and it's like, what in the fuck are you doing? And then they, they missed it. This one feels like they're deliberately trying to shit on you. And the reason I say this is because exorcism is a Latin word. That is, correct me if I'm wrong, exclusive to the Catholic faith, right? In which case, then you would assume that a movie about exorcism would be like, well, we got to get those Catholics uh, back up again because they're the only ones who have exorcism. But no, this, the climax. Are there there other words that mean to to force a demon out of a, you know, I don't even know, but the Catholics have a ritual for it. And maybe you do in Santeria, 
or voodoo. Yeah, I don't think you do in like Baptist, you know, uh, uh, Protestant, you know, or I don't think uh, so. But basically the the climax of the movie has to gather because, you know, we live in a secular society now where Catholicism is so passe. Right. So we're going to make an exorcism movie that involves, I think, a witch doctor, a Baptist priest or Baptist uh, minister. Sorry. uh, A former nun. And it's just like we have to get everybody together so they can chant evil dies tonight. Evil <laughs> dies tonight. I mean, it literally builds up to literally, that. Yeah, you could bring it over to this movie, yes. Colin, I have a question. If I'm making a trilogy, why is this not the story, the third story in the trilogy? Shouldn't that be everyone uniting together? Shouldn't they all be leading to this moment? Right. We need the Avengers of Exorcist. Yeah, that's what they basically movie. tried to do, right? The Exorcist. Yeah, the why Avengers. are we doing this in the first movie of three? All right, they literally have a scene that takes place in a church where all of these, like the four, I think, like uh, Avenger uh, type persons, line up. You know, they all come in from off camera and get in a line and then start walking toward the camera. Like wow. that actually happens in this movie. They um, did the hero landing, huh? Yes. Um, They pre-sold it as a trilogy, so we have to have three of these movies. This one was so goddamn offensive, and I think it universally hated by everyone who saw it. The other thing I think that is the problem with this movie, and I I do want to try and avoid spoilers, I guess, just out of common decency, (laughs) you know, but um, they bring back Ellen Bernstein. Because they brought back Jamie Lee Curtis, right? The big deal with Blumhouse, who produced it, is like, we're going to get the original, uh, you know, heroine from the original movie and bring her back, right? To face off against the evil once again. But I don't know whose fucking idea was to treat her the way that they treat her in this movie. Oh, she also has to have a line about the patriarchy, right? The Catholic. That's why she wasn't in the room uh, when they were exercising Regan was because, I don't know, the patriarchy. And you're like, maybe because you're not a Catholic priest. You know, it's like, maybe that's how this actually works. Um, So the story is about like uh, a father who um, him and his he has a daughter and then there's another couple. He's lost his wife in Haiti. It's a family and a white family. Yeah, it's Leslie Odom Jr. Is he... um, did someone lose a parent in this movie? uh, Yes. In in an opening scene that is unrelated to the rest of the movie, I'm convinced. I cannot find a thematic thread (laughs) to the opening of the movie and the rest of it. But anyway, so there's two girls, and they go missing. And then they reappear. And then they start acting weird. And then we have to expose them to the scientific tests and the doctors and all that. And we're like, oh, because this is an exorcist movie, that's how it goes. And that's about as far as, like, once it starts clocking into that, you know, like, okay, we're in an exorcist movie. Then we have to go and somebody says there's a woman named uh, Chris McNeil. And she wrote a book. The whole idea of her character in this movie uh, uh runs contrary to who she was right in the original movie you're like well you know it's been 50 years or whatever but it's just like this is not the same she has the same name and it's the same actress but like chris mcneil would not be like publicizing her daughter's uh you know experience by becoming a best-selling author like that wasn't 
that wasn't who she was, right? And, right? and they forget that she was an actor. I don't know. I was very upset and offended by this. Um, but it just seems like every creative decision that they make is either leaning heavily on shit you've already seen because this is what an exorcism movie is. But the problem, I think the problem with exorcist movies, right? And I'm saying in general, not with the brand name. Right. Um, is that that idea, somebody becomes possessed, usually a child, right? And a holy man forces that demon out is always about the holy man, right? Mm. It's about the conflict uh, of like, you know, somebody who's losing or has lost their faith coming into contact with a legitimate supernatural entity and kind right. of having to, that's the story of the exorcist. This one doesn't do it at all. Like it just says like, you know, Catholic, pre- uh, whatever, you know, it's like <laughs> you, you lose that whole thing. I think that the father's like an atheist or doesn't really care, you know? And it's just like, well, what's the fucking point of this movie? Like, that's what it is. And the exorcist, the original one did it. And basically like, that's the Mount Everest of exorcist movies. And you've had successful ones every once in a while you have, I like the exorcist of emily rose uh because mm-hmm. that was like a courtroom drama right yeah yeah it was as if, exorcism and the last exorcism i uh, okay. those are the two that immediately spring to mind where you go like okay this is a new way of doing uh basically the same story but are I mean, there any exorcism <laughs> movies that we love that don't have exorcism in the title they have exorcism that don't have exorcism in the title. Yeah, I watched it this year. The Pope's Exorcist. No, they don't have they don't have it in the title. Use an exorcism. Oh, there you go. Exorcist in the title, Holly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we can all ride mopeds to an exorcism. But the the original movie did it so well that you can't. It's not like Halloween where you take like Michael Myers and have him, you know, uh, come back and do other stuff. Uh, or Jason, where you can just put him in right. different movies. It's a very specific story. Yeah. And I think that's why there's so much trouble in trying to make a, an ex a movie about exorcism that doesn't tread over ground that was covered in 1973. And uh, yeah, right. these are like fools' errands that are completely a cash grab uh you know how can we mine a subject that people are familiar with and they might come back and see we don't have to we can you know disavow the sequels <sighs> i hated it i hated it it's the worst the worst movie of the year i mean it's so bad and audiences also i think rejected it so much so that there was all this publicity about like well universal paid like 400 million dollars for the well, rights itself right. so they are right. committed they have to find a way to right. exploit this and get a return they have to make two more movies but i mean i'm like you gotta you gotta shit can this one and just do something else and my challenge to you is or my warning is there's nothing else that you can do I, I, <laughs> prove me wrong five years from now or whatever but i'm well, like it's a fool's errand colin. <laughs> you, you lose <laughs> colin i like how this movie did the thing i hate in monster movies where instead of there being one monster there's two the exorcist this was girls. like there's two girls that are possessed <laughs> it's pointless it doesn't add anything Stupid. you know yeah. it, when it when it first starts it's like okay the idea i guess that two girls go off in the woods and disappear and then come back you know it has like a true crime vibe 
And yeah. that part of the movie is the best part of the movie, but I'm not saying by much, but it's like, at least it's intriguing and it's starting to set up some, but as soon as they show up, it's like, we know what happened to him. You know I mean? It's a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. There's no mystery. You're just waiting for her to start going, you know, your mother sucks cocks in hell or whatever the fuck, you know, right. that she's going right. to do. I know you. I yeah. saw you 50 years ago. That happens. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> worst movie yep. of the year, Sean. What's the worst movie of the year? Okay, so here we go. Strap in. Um, we're, uh, uh, it's a tie. No, it's not. Uh, not a big tie. I'm going to talk about one movie briefly, and then we'll move on. Um, Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> the movie that is the most lucrative movie for Blumhouse ever, I think. Yeah. Five Nights at Freddy's. Horrible movie. Don't like it. I watched it with the kid. I lied to him and said it was all right. It's <laughs> really, it's not good. It's not this, not just in like there. And there is a whole backstory folklore about the Five Nights at Freddy's thing. I won't explain it here because it's weird. It's very weird. And it, it's something I don't think a general audience will understand. It's mostly game-oriented and the story within that. Um, I sat down and went through it with the kid in an afternoon about all of the games and the story and otherwise. It's not good. It makes sense in short-term video games. It does not transfer to a hour and 40-minute movie. It comes across... As 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 bad for everyone involved in it, mostly the actors. Um, it's not good. I don't recommend you watch it. I don't. Be, it's weird to see the power of an IP uh, uh, gain so much money for a corporation because it's just it's bad and it makes no sense. So Five Nights at Freddy's, ignore that. Push it to the side. Real quick, why did you lie to the kid that it wasn't that bad? <laughs> did he like it? You don't because when you have a kid, you don't want to destroy their uh, thoughts on things right off the bat. Wait, did he like it? I don't know. I don't think he thought it was great. I don't think he thought it was like one of the. He'll never watch it again. Um, he was interested in it because he had played some of the games and knew of the backstory, and I think the interest was in the backstory and how it came forth in the movies. But I don't think he would have. I don't think he would remember a thing about the movie, technically. But did you did you watch it alone before you watched it with him? No, I just watched it with him. I still don't follow why you lied. <laughs> because you don't want to like you just. Uh, I'm very honest with my kid about the movies that I like and dislike. When he wants to watch a movie specifically. I don't want to watch it and then destroy it right in front of them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because yeah. I'm, very, I'm very, okay. If you have, I'm very critical about movies, and I'm pretty open. About you that. are <laughs> right, but I'm, I think I'm very open about like, no, I don't like that movie, especially with me and the kid. I'm just like, no, I don't like that movie, and I'll tell you, why. okay, no, I don't like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Right, I'm that very open with him, and I'm very, I'm a very critical person. I think, and I didn't want to. If he has an inkling, I don't want to destroy every movie he likes. And I do kind of be like, that movie sucked. Mm-hmm. For, 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 I'm, I'm pretty honest with the kid, and this one he had some interest in, and I didn't want to 
be harsh on it. So I mm -hmm. wasn't very truthful okay. about how I felt with it afterwards. But it's that not, it's not but even the worst movie of the year. No, no, no. If you ask me now, I'd be like, yeah, that wasn't a good movie. And I think as he progresses as a child, he's still 12 he would understand that, yeah, it wasn't good, and we could talk yeah. about it and explain it. But at the moment, I was just like, uh, yeah, I was fine. And yeah, what I okay. Said, so. I get well, it. The one I had, um, I mean, it's maybe not the worst, but it's the one I had uh, the most friction with as far as what everybody else thought about it. Uh, no one will save you. The alien movie with uh, yeah. with 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 the Debers woman, who I think is a good actress, and I've seen her in things that I really like, and I think she's good in those. But this is the alien invasion movie that, as a person who, at a certain point, really likes alien invasion movies, did not like this movie. Mm -hmm. In in a world where everyone was really all for it and everything. I didn't understand the hype for it. I didn't understand story-wise the execution. It is a movie that is made as a as a, a dialogue-free movie, which unless unless you're writing a story that will naturally uh, come upon that where nobody needs to speak, I will understand that. This is not a movie that naturally would have these people not talk to each other. It's an mm -hmm. alien invasion movie. If aliens were invading Earth, there's nothing I would want to talk about more to other people than the aliens coming to this planet <laughs> and abducting people and doing probes to them than this movie. I, I, I don't... Yeah, we thought done well in a quiet place. I've seen it done well in certain aspects for a bunch of things, but I saw this movie as soon as it came out. I was just like, okay, um, I like I, I like alien movies. I like when they invade and it's kind of a uh, it's the backdoor movie. It's not a whole world. Um, it's not an Independence Day, big spaceships, everyone coming in and everyone knows about it. It's more of a behind the scenes, like we're going to invade this small area. Only certain people will know about it. It may expand from there, and and maybe the story gets bigger and more interesting from there. But it's about a woman who's alone, who's experienced things prior to this movie, who is alone in her house. Um, Holly, I just look at this as you because this feels like, <laughs> as far as like who the character is, uh, what she likes as far as design and and, yeah. and life. This feels like because she has a cute little house with her little flower dresses. Right, and she yeah. designs things, she creates things. Yeah. Like, it it's feels me. like this would be you <laughs> yeah. in the best way. This feels like it would be you. If, aside from murdering my friend. <laughs> aside from that, which is when we get into the story, the murder of the friend, <laughs> and how that reflects on how the aliens feel about that. But it, it, it's a story of, of that. A, a person, this is a trauma movie, because it's a person who has experienced trauma, continues to experience trauma, and then kind of how, uh, 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 as alien beings come in, experience the trauma that a person has experienced and feel that and react to that. Oh, it has, like, one of the worst fucking endings of, like, I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's morally it reprehensible. It's trying to be <laughs> ambiguous, I think, in some ways, but it's like, what are we really saying here? 
Yeah. It's like, this is like, what the fuck psychopath like wrote this fucking movie? <laughs> and, and, right, no, I agree. It really, it feels like, I'm like, what, what are we trying to say about this? And if, if that is what you're trying to say, it doesn't track with a maybe real world experience. It's a very odd movie. And then it's very, I think, high concept in that we're having very intimate interactions with aliens the first interaction is uh, is a is more of a smaller home invasion that that ends with you know uh uh fights and knocking them out and how it's right, a weakness stabbing an alien yeah. in the head yeah. and killing him which is sort of the device that sets off the rest of the movie we get bigger aliens appear bigger aliens with crab now i i do like certain aspects in like the big alien with crab legs coming into the like the bigger aspect of it is just kind of interesting to me because, you know, um, uh, I, I wait for the day when the alien invasion happens and we get big spacecrafts and all that. And so when it happens in real life, it's going to be fascinating to me. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, it, it'll be great. I, I wait for the alien, the real alien invasion. Um, <laughs> I'm weird like that, but the, this movie goes in so many different directions, and the 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 cause for things to happen to the character, and and how she reacts to them, and the reason why she's able to deter these aliens does not make sense to me, uh, in a way that everyone else critically seems to celebrate and love of this movie. And I think there was a, 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 a there was a wave of this movie where people liked it and um, and you know loved the character, loved what happened, and everything that I didn't understand because it didn't make sense to me because things didn't happen in what I thought was a natural way, as natural as you can get when you're being invaded physically by an alien <laughs> through your mouth, and then you have to try and figure out how to pull that out of your system and be a human again. Yeah. It's a gimmick um, movie. It's one of those movies where the director or, you know, sets up yes. a challenge for themselves. Right. And which, it really does come back to the fact that no one speaks in this movie, which is yeah. not, it doesn't work for this movie because people would be speaking at certain parts in this movie. There is like a breathless line of dialogue or two in this movie that the main character does speak. But other than that, Characters interact with each other like they have, uh, they've never spoken the English language before, which doesn't make sense for the movie, but whatever. That's what they're, the, the movie makers are trying to do. Um, I think it's a lot of uh, uh, people trying to do big things that I don't think they execute well. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm in the minority, uh, apparently, by popular opinion. No, I didn't like how it. This is yeah, I'm I mean, not, not here. No, no, I think you're we're, in company here. No, I think we're. I, you, you're right, Holly. I think I'm in company here, but I think that. But I don't know if that's the minority opinion because uh, you know you're saying all these people say this, but like, who have you talked to who liked it? No, no, uh, uh, no. I, Sean got into a debate at my Halloween party with someone who liked it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did I? I yeah, you're right. I think I did. Um, <laughs> I think the, but I think of, all right without talking to people specifically because I didn't. Uh, honestly, I don't think I wanted to talk about it because I thought it was bad. But I think the overall critical opinion was that it was something to pay attention to when I don't think it was. Um, and I think it failed on a few levels, even though I like, you know, I like the actors who were involved and everything. And I like aliens, but I don't think they they tried to achieve something. I don't think they got there. And I think people were fooled. For some reason, in the make in the watching of the movie, um, 
yeah, so no one will save you, I think is, uh, I think a failure of 2023. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I don't uh, see why it was so accepted. Uh, there are certain people I know who thought this was the ultimate movie made for them. I'll leave their names out of it, but they're usually wrong. Um, so I'm not surprised <laughs> that they love this movie, but I've seen a few people who absolutely loved it for what it did, and I think they're completely wrong, and I don't think this was as good as the maybe popular majority, even if that populace was only excited for it for like a month or two. I think they were wrong for that month or two before it faded out of existence, and I hope it just fades out of existence forever. So, nothing will save you. Uh, goodbye. My most disappointing. Uh, goodbye. Um, what did you think? Yeah, um, you know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of just blah movies this year. Sean, I agree with you. I did not enjoy that movie um, at all. Yes. Uh, I watched a lot that I was like, I was looking forward to, and it just didn't do it for me. Just recently, I watched Bo is Afraid. I didn't like it. I watched Killers of Flower Moon. I didn't like it. I watched uh, The Killer. I didn't like it. Like, there was just so many movies. Um, Oh, Dream, uh, Dream Scenario? Hated it. Did you hate Dreams and I did! I hated it! Alright, that is why, for people who like the litter dame Nicolas Cage and um, uh, the um, the massive weight of talent and whatever he did last year and everything. Okay, uh, I love that I movie. I like that movie. Right. <laughs> that, was my number, that was my number one last year, wasn't it? I think yeah. so. Right, so, like, you wow, Dreams and Ariel, not good? Oh. Yeah, no, I like, he was great in that. I like Nick Cage, and I liked that it was something i like that it was original content it was creative yes, yes. but it was just like the story itself by the end of I, the have movie. A, I have a question holly because yeah. can you can you confirm or deny that it kind of has a cancel culture like theme to it yes that's yeah that i heard that and it turned me off of it so hard it does very much have a cancel culture theme to it and it's very much like this dude is a victim for no reason and that fucking sucks. Like, the end of the movie, I'm just like, why the fuck did I watch this depressing as hell movie? Is there anything you can get from the movie that you can't get from the trailer? I know it doesn't explicitly go no. into some plot points, but okay. you see them and you're no, like, like you, okay, I know trailer, where this you, is going. You get it. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. It's like yeah, I got the whole movie from the trailer. Right. I didn't yeah, need to see you did. You did. Right. You could see where characters were turned yep. based on the trailer. Yeah. Right. And, and like I said, like, the concept, like, the creativity, I was like, I'm into this. I'm interested. Right. I like it. And just the story, it just doesn't go where you want it to go. It's but that's not, not your worst movie. It's not. Oh, okay. I thought I was about to write it down. So that wasn't it, though. Because as much as I didn't like that, much as I was disappointed in that movie, there was another movie that was just pure trash. And I have a feeling Michaela might agree with me on this. It is May, December. I'm sorry I did this to you, Holly. This is my fault. I I I, I followed this movie on to Holly. Like I, I texted her. I was like, "You heard about this?" And then we were like, "No." And it's like, "Oh, there's probably a reason we haven't heard about it because it sucks ass." All right. So all I know about this movie is that mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway. Yep. No. Have- Natalie Portman. Natalie. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was like, "Yeah, no, it's not." It's no, not Natalie Portman. I'm sorry. Natalie Portman and yeah. uh, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. and that all I know, I, I think, is that uh, Natalie Portman is trying to portray Julianne Moore, so she so she follows her life. Yeah, yeah. Julianne Moore is Mary Kay Letourneau. Oh, so she's the high school yes. teacher that yes. married her yes. uh, student. I, yes. Oh, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That's oh, and yeah. Right. So this movie has that. some real unpleasant thoughts on um. Wow. Bad things it, happening to children. Yeah. It's really, really icky, like super <laughs> icky. And I think what makes it even worse is the fact that this movie is getting like rave reviews and it's been nominated for awards. People love it. And People I love this movie. It. So the reason why, like, I got attracted to it and recommended it to Holly, we both kind of like parallel watched it at home. It yeah. was like. Uh, 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 everyone kept saying it was campy and weird and fun and none of that. I was expecting like a simple favor type movie and that's yeah. not what this is. This is like a serious drama of, like about weird fucking people doing fucked up yeah. stuff. We thought it was going to be like A-list actors doing a Lifetime movie. Like that's yeah. what we thought yeah. it was going to be. <laughs> right. And we're like, we're here for it. And no, it's really gross. It's just weird. Like the char- every character is bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, I mean, we all lived through the story. We know the story of right, Mary Kate right, right. We know what happened. And so, like, none of the content is surprising, but just, like, the analysis of it and the interpretation of it, it's really weird and gross. And icky. Yeah. Now, do you think they're trying to, um, whether it's right or not, have an interpretation from what the characters were thinking at the time or what the real people were thinking at the time? Again, not being not being legitimate or right, but being gross. Like, do you think they're trying to play up that aspect of it? That it was wrong? No. No? Are they trying to normalize May-December romance? They're trying to say how weird it, like, look at this thing to gawk at. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, they're not, like, really making a judgment one way or another. They're just trying to look at it from all sides. They're like, look at these bizarre creatures in their cages. Like, it's really weird. It's it's not trying to argue a point. It's trying to be just uh, like, wow, is it that fucking weird? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, here's some fucked up people. Everyone's fucked yeah. up. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, I. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is going into it like Michaela was saying. I watched the trailer and I saw that people were saying it was like fun and campy and stuff. And I was all for a lifetime movie with A-list actors. I thought that'd be great. And then watching it, I. I cannot believe that this movie is getting rave reviews and being nominated for shit. That boggles yeah. my goddamn mind. And I think that's, I mean, not, yeah, that's not the only thing that puts me off. What puts me off is that I spent like two hours watching this piece of shit movie. But yeah, it's, it's just, long. It's long and it's like, it's long and boring and gross. Yeah. It's boring and gross. So that's, I don't know how that works, but it works. Like, this, yeah. boring and gross. Yeah. It's a Netflix movie. They're on my shit list this year, man. They have put out some garbage. See, that's the thing, though, because two of my favorites were Netflix movies. Oh, so man. I was like, they're doing okay in some areas, but that <laughs> one was just a total Netflix shit show. give you the spectrum of garbage. You oh, it was such a life. shit show. So, yeah, I, hands down, my least favorite was May, December. Gross. And I had a lot of disappointing movies this year. <laughs> <laughs> It was hard for me to pick a favorite one. <laughs> anyway, who's next? Michaela's next. Yep. Yes. Um, okay, yeah. May just De- like I would May December I'm not I knew you were gonna pick it, so I was like, I'll just jump in on that. But yeah, I would I would advise you to stay away from May December. I would advise you to stay away from sixty five. Um, oh, and 60, yeah. you watched yeah. so what did you not like about sixty five? Well, I was gonna I would I was gonna make Aside that my worst but uh, it's, Fast and Furious movie. 
it's it's not at all. I wish it was a fucking Fast and Furious movie. It's nothing like that. It's boring. It's dull. Oh yeah, the 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 numbers of mentions of family were insane. But um, it's bad for it was it was my most offensive until I watched another Netflix movie, Leave the World Behind. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. What what is the premise of this movie? Okay, so this movie is directed and written by Sam Esmail, who created Mr. Robot and has done a lot of TV like that. Um, So the premise is it is present day-ish, and Julia Roberts and her husband, Ethan Hawke, are just tired of life, so they're going to go on vacation to a remote cabin. But the remote cabin, like, it's like a high tech, really fancy, nice house. It's not like an isolated cabin. Um, and uh, while they're there, uh, it's like a Hamptons house. house. It's like a Hamptons house. Yeah, actually, they might be in the Hamptons. I think it is. I think yeah. it's in the Hamptons house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, the internet goes out, satellites go out, and uh, no one knows why. And everyone starts to not trust each other. And um, you know, Stabby, you heard this before, but, you know, people might have ulterior motives and bigger things might be happening. And everyone's talking about this. And then the movie just ends. And that, it was the, one of the most frustrating watches I've had in a long time. The um, sequel. You got to leave the door open for the franchise. Uh, one of the most baffling things about this movie uh, is in the beginning, there's like a l- real deal title sequence. And it said produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. Well, I heard they had like okay. a Netflix deal, but yeah. I didn't know they were yeah. able to get in into fiction stuff. But, but here's the thing that makes that extra weird is that the things happening in this movie are mostly government conspiracies. Like yeah. it's a government it's a government conspiracy that takes out the internet and then they get flyers dropped and then a boat crashes. It's like all these different kind of disasters are happening at once and it's all part of some plan to take down America, but that's all the information you really get. And it's just weird that this is the movie they chose to back. Like, what are they trying to say with this? You know? Um, but, oh my God, it is just, it is aggressively um Sean and Colin, you'll appreciate this. This movie is aggressively pro physical media. There is a lot. <laughs> it's it's uh, like the, even the end button of the movie is like, a point about physical media. Like yeah. ironic because you'll never be able to own it on physical it, media. Exactly. Cause it's Netflix. It doesn't make right. any sense. Yeah. This movie is just really, really cynical and it's trying to be like a puzzle box, like black mirror or like, <laughs> yeah, I even got like lost vibes from it a little bit, but the one, of the, about- one of the, one of the catalysts of this movie is there's a little girl that even though it's the end of the world or whatever, she's constantly trying to watch the last episode of friends. Yes. That's a running thing in this movie. Um, it, it's wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's a running thing in that movie, but it's, this movie is just really cynical and it, yeah. but it just, and Julia Roberts was especially bad. Like, wow. She, it feels like she's been out of the game for a while because it was, it was rough. Um, her just, character is bad, though. Like, I don't even yeah. know so much her. It's just her character is bad. Yeah, because, like, so there's that weird cold open where she looks, like, directly into camera and is like, I fucking hate people. And then it cuts yeah. to the title. Okay. It was really okay. weird. Now, I know this is weird, and I know we've been talking about a, a lot of movies that we shouldn't see. Every mention you guys have of this movie that makes it bad, I just want to watch more. Okay, I, 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 it's so no, here's boring. what I was going to say. I just watched this movie and I didn't hate it. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I want to watch this movie. 
just to, because like I want to, if nothing else, either I want to watch it and be like, you're wrong, which I, uh, that's not my purpose to, to try and prove you guys wrong. But I also want to watch it and be like, oh, you're fucking right. This was just a yeah. I'm just saying, like, don't say I didn't warn you. You know, like, but but but, at least I can be. But thank you because at least I can be prepared for it going into it. But here's the thing, like, so what makes puzzles satisfying and like puzzle box shows and TVs and movies work is that you're getting all these pieces, but it's leading to a solid, direct conclusion. Sure, like. It is leading to some something, so it makes all that effort worth it. And you can't just give me all the puzzle pieces and slowly start laying them and then leave the middle part completely blank and then just end and throw the puzzle up in the fucking air. You can't yeah. do that, and that's what this I movie will, does. I will agree. Like, I didn't hate the movie. It was parts of the way I was okay with, but no, the ending is insulting. <laughs> and the virtual alley yeah. is like doing too much because I don't yeah. understand what this character's yeah, motivation yeah. is. And then I love yeah. him, and this movie made me kind of think twice about loving him and i'd hate yeah. that so uh yeah a hard pass on leave leave this movie behind it it fucking sucks <laughs> <laughs> wow well that's uh i guess that's it right i mean that's the year in review we got five five well i guess it's a uh, 20 2023 was a rough year for movies yeah, yeah. yeah rough yeah yeah, but we have twenty twenty four to look forward to. So what will happen? Six. Let's just no, no, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were out of work for so long this year, so I imagine there can't be a whole lot in the pipeline. And no, right. I don't it's know. Gonna be bad next True. year. True. I yeah. just my hope is that uh, yeah, uh, it's just it's this perpetual battle between like streaming and Marvel to enemies of the movie business i think mm-hmm. that you know streaming has to figure out a way to make movies special yeah. uh things that you would right. go to actually see in a theater because i think and that's the upside you know and we talk about like barbenheimer and all that but i mean it was the significance of that was that like this movie oppenheimer made like a colossal amount of money and it's a historical drama that's like three hours long that, you know, people saw it. Some of them anyway, saw it as like this dare because it was like, you know, they came out on the same week and like counter programming. It's like, well, we're, we're going to go see them both, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea that it's like an adult drama that like, you know, many people saw is some Mm -hmm. kind of like achievement. It shows that there are, um, there is an audience for movies that aren't, you know, all bubblegum oh, popcorn sure. aimed yeah. at 13 year old kids, you know, yes. that we will go see but, adult and movies. Can, and then it kind of reached the level of excitement in that it like, Oh, we recognize, recognize this as a big adult movie, but we are all very excited for it. But do, but you have to recognize that as an opposition or as a, uh, as a second half to Barbie, because I don't think Oppenheimer would have been. It would have been a big Christopher Nolan movie. I agree, but not but, that uh, big. But not yeah. that big. Not when you have Barbie coming out with it. I think yeah. it's like we have. We do have to recognize that that is the. Oh, I think Barbie uh, like far outgrossed it, but makes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not even that. Just, just, just because the just uh, of the look, the the opposing. Uh, uh, material and everything like I, Oppenheimer would not have been as huge if not for Barbie. Same, I think. Same for I think Barbie may have been 
Barbie would have been huge either way. Yeah, it would have been huge either way. Barbie would have been huge either way. And Oppenheimer with Christopher Nolan would have been big, but I mean, yeah. Because Barbie came out. Yeah, but I mean, I just, you know, I guess, you know, the fact, I think Maestro had an opportunity to probably be in the same league. But we're never going to know. We're never going to know if anybody actually saw it. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just like the fact that, like, I didn't know it was out. You know, I had heard. It's tough tough to be definitive with movies nowadays. Yeah. Because Because it's not it's it's not special. Oppenheimer, Barbie were special. You know what I mean? There was a cultural thing that made them special where Maestro is not special. It's just the part of the weekly dump on netflix you know right. like the mm-hmm. 10 things that they have or the 20 of the 100 i don't even know they just right. dump it, shit it, on there no, maestro is part of the holiday the holiday uh, uh oscar bait dump it, it feels like maybe it may yeah. be more but and they do this all the time because there's plenty of good movies that have come through you know netflix i mean even the fact that uh you know right. david fincher basically works it because i thought mank was <laughs> one that probably um was that two years ago one year ago, two years ago, probably would have done better if, like, it actually went to theaters and had promotion behind it. But whatever. One of my one of my um, honor well honorable mention. It's an honorable mention series. Was Jury Duty was a really fun show. <laughs> right, I saw yeah. the trailers for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, it's yeah. really fun. I'm aware that that's out yeah, there. Love so that. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to look up Reptile because that sounds up my alley. Yeah, I've never heard of it. You know, Reptile's great. So, I'll see if I can add that to my uh, watch that before the the year ends in uh, uh, what two days. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of which, so uh, next week, and thank you for joining us on the supersized episode. Thank you for suffering through the audio issues. Where we, we were sorry for COVID. Uh, we, we didn't. We didn't. We, we didn't so make it. Sorry for COVID. But we're sorry. Um, <laughs> So we caused COVID. I'm so sorry. So what we're doing next week when you cause COVID? (laughs) Well, next week we're somebody ate a part of him and just like I'm sick. Yeah. Well, next week we are returning to watching movies here on Saturday Night Free Show. But guess what? We're going to watch movies that you have chosen, that you have voted on. Thank you all for submitting. Seriously, we really appreciate it. We We very much appreciate it. We are starting the new year off with you. I mean, that's yeah. the best you can get from a podcast. We start with <laughs> we start with you and what you want to start the year. Give the yeah. people what they want. Oh yeah, we exactly. should we should mention. Uh, I know it was all messed up in the voting this year, but it was intentional. It's like if you can submit four uh, four movies, then you can only vote for three, you can right? Vote for three. And it keeps. <laughs> but I think the wording was wrong, and once the poll started, I couldn't change it. I'm like, oh crap! It says you know vote for. So yeah, you were limited to only three titles, so you couldn't right. vote for will, your four. We'll watch the top four. Yeah, we will watch the top mm-hmm. four. We're starting with that uh, next week. Oh, by the way, it occurred to me, uh, Exorcism movie without Exorcism the title. All the Conjuring movies. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, we're not watching Conjuring movies next week. They weren't even on the <laughs> list. Uh, but unfortunately, as of tonight, we cannot tell you what next week's movie is going to be. That's still being. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. The suspense builds. So we, we hope <laughs> you'll join find us. Out. Join us in 2024 for new and exciting things on the Saturday Night Freak Show. Uh, thank you for listening to us in 2023. And we appreciate Happy New Year. It. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, and now the basement is going dark.